anti-Semite. Look for people that will accept without question any propaganda coming from Hamas or inside of Palestine. And those same people will doubt any and all news coming from Israel. That's a good sign. I ask you, does anyone with an ounce of common sense believe that Israel would intentionally target a hospital in Gaza when they're surrounded by people that want them all dead? If you answered yes to that question, I think Israel would do that. Then that's a sign that you might be, if not anti-Semitic, certainly not very intelligent. Steve Hook on today's News Talk TNT Radio. Affordable housing, we can build that. Sustainable housing, we can build that. At MIT Modular, we understand the importance of housing for all and the importance of design, cost, and functionality. Our goal is to meet the needs of our growing population by converting shipping containers to livable units. If you're like-minded and in a position to invest in something meaningful and life-changing, we want to hear from you. We are a team of professional architects, engineers, and financial and tax... 88.1 FM, The Wireless International News. this hour go to episodes at tntradio.live now tnt radio news for tnt this is james o'neill in a significant escalation of the conflict in gaza palestinian terrorists executed the most lethal single attack against israeli forces since the hamas initiated raid that sparked the war the attack resulted in the death of 21 israeli soldiers Following the attack, the Israeli military stated that they had surrounded Khan Yunus, the second largest city in Gaza, leading to visible thick black smoke above the city. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu expressed his sorrow over the loss of the Israeli soldiers who were killed by a blast from a rocket-propelled grenade while they were setting explosives to demolish buildings. Despite the heavy loss, Netanyahu declared his commitment to achieving absolute victory. This includes defeating the Hamas terrorist group, and rescuing over 100 Israeli hostages held by the terrorists. The incident occurred on Monday when Israeli reservists were preparing to demolish two buildings near Magazi refugee camp in central Gaza, close to the Israeli border. As they worked, a terrorist fired a rocket-propelled grenade at a nearby tank, setting off the explosives and causing the collapse of the buildings, leading to the soldiers' deaths. On Monday, House Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan issued a subpoena to the Department of Health and Human Services, demanding the department to provide data and details about its handling of unaccompanied alien children at the U.S.-Mexico border, particularly those identified as having connections to gangs and criminal activities. HHS is tasked with the detention and care of illegal immigrant minors who arrive at the southern border, unaccompanied by an adult guardian. Many of these UACs are permitted to entry into the United States under the condition of being placed with a sponsor while their immigration cases are processed. The HHS's Office of Refugee Resettlement oversees the sponsor placement process. Jordan has been requesting information from HHS since June regarding the vetting process for the UAC sponsors by the department and ORR, as well as the protocols for handling UACs linked to criminal activities. 
Expressing dissatisfaction with the insufficient responses received so far, Jordan, in a letter to HHS Secretary Xavier Becerra on Tuesday, announced his decision to proceed with the records request via subpoena. In an interview with CBS, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov expressed skepticism about the potential for improved relations between Moscow and Washington, even if Donald Trump were to win the 2024 U.S. presidential election. Despite Trump's past claims of having good relations with Vladimir Putin, Lavrov highlighted that the overall U.S. stance toward Russia has remained consistent over the years. Lavrov attributed the deterioration of U.S.-Russia relations to Washington's actions, including the dismantling of key confidence-building mechanisms and the erosion of mutual trust. He specifically referred to former U.S. President George W. Bush's decision in 2002 to withdraw from the Anti-Ballistic Missile Treaty. This treaty, a crucial arms control agreement signed in 1972 between the U.S. and the USSR, restricted the number of ballistic missile defense systems each country could possess, aiming to reduce arms race tensions during the Cold War. Mr. Sergei Lavrov has stated that Russia is not accountable for the deterioration of relations with the United States, which have reached a historic low. He asserts that the onus of repairing these relations rests entirely with Washington. The relationship between the U.S. and Russia significantly worsened following the outbreak of the conflict in Ukraine in February 2022. Russia criticized the U.S. and other Western nations for imposing unparalleled sanctions and supplying weapons to Kiev. We, we see the, new, the current generation of politicians in the United States uh, having drawn no, just no single lesson from that unacceptable policies which the United States started to promote after the demise of the Soviet Union. We'll be back with another news break at the top of the next hour. This has been James O'Neill for TNT. A better business tip from TNT Radio. News Talk Radio listeners are some of the most active and involved listeners of any format. TNT Radio listeners rely on TNT Radio often as their primary source of information. They trust TNT Radio and are highly engaged with the content. If you'd like more information about advertising on TNT Radio, simply fill out your details on our contact page and we'll be in touch. To find out more, go to TNTradio.live. You're listening to Grant Edwards, 88.1 FM, The Wireless, The World at Five. Ah, five past five, and welcome to The World at Five. The Wireless Weather. Ooh, Ooh, not supposed to do that. Oh, we'll try that again. Sorry about that, Uh, Chris. Sorry about that. Sorry about it. We'll try that again. 88.1 FM, The Wireless There we are, sorry about that. All right, five minutes past five. Very good morning to you on this day, Thursday, the 25th of January. Well, well, let's look at weather first of all, and then we'll have a look and see what happened on this day, and then we'll skip through the newspapers and uh, see what they've got up on offer. Well, the usual suspects with the weather, it's eased off a little bit, hasn't it, the temperature-wise? Highest temperature, of course, is Gisborne on the east coast, uh, 18.8 degrees this morning. And Lumsden, of course, in the middle of the bottom of the South Island there, all right down Southland, wonderful place, Lumsden, 4.4 degrees this morning. The windiest place of course, Christchurch, the Port Halls Port Hills I should say, 28 uh, kilometres of wind there and Napier Airport has just 0.2 millimetres of rain. Temperatures right across the city, it's certainly dropped into the single digits, uh, Stewart Island's on 9 degrees along with Invercargill. 
The Chatham Islands, 14 this morning, a little bit cold, cooler, but still a lot warmer than most parts of the uh, South Island. Queenstown's on 5 degrees. Dunedin, we had Dunedin, to be 11 degrees. Timaru, 12. Across to France, Joseph, 7 degrees over on the west coast there, 9 in Westport. And Nelson's on 11. Blenheim has 9 degrees. Christchurch, also 9. Uh, up to the North Island in the capital city there at the Wasp Nest, Wellington, 12 degrees. Marsterton, 13. Palmerston North's on 15, quite warm there. Napier has 15, and so does Taupo. Uh, We've got uh, New Plymouth on 9 degrees, uh, Gisborne's on 19, pretty much 18.8, and uh, Rotorua's on 14 degrees, Hamilton 12, Tauranga 16 degrees, Auckland even cooler, 15 degrees. Uh, Wangarei gets a little warmer there with 16 degrees, and uh, one of the warmest places in the whole country, apart from Gisborne, is Karantaya, right up in the far north. All right, let's look at the... Uh, Short forecast for all of New Zealand, valid until midnight tonight. In the west, from Northland to Taumaranui, also for Coromandel, uh, we've got mainly fine weather today with occasional showers this afternoon and evening. For Gisborne and Hawke's Bay and the Wairapa, also through to Taihapi, partly cloudy with isolated showers. For the Bay of Plenty and Tapo, also for Taranaki and Wellington, uh, generally fine weather for you today. In the South Island, Nelson, Marlborough and Canterbury, mostly fine with isolated showers mainly from the afternoon. For Buller and Westland, fine apart from some evening cloud, and you've got late rain about southern Westland as well. For the North Otago and Dunedin, often cloudy with the odd shower. Uh, for Central Otago and Clutha, also for Southland and Fiordland, cloudy with showers in Fiordland. Uh, but you've got some fine spells elsewhere, rain developing in Fiordland this evening, with scattered falls spreading to the east. And in the Chatham Islands, fine weather for you. Yep. Yeah, that's good, isn't it? Fine weather for you. From beach towels to tea towels, and from mugs to water bottles, the TNT Shop has it all. Browse our shop now at tntradio.live. Oh, Jesus. Some dude ate a bat, which somehow started a global pandemic. People of the world agreed to a two-week quarantine and it somehow turned into a year of shopping for grapes at Walmart with underwear on your head. Some experts disagree with the experts, but the experts agreed that the only experts that were the experts were the experts who agreed with the experts. The scientific method was replaced with artificial consensus by multinational corporations utilizing mass hysteria. Eventually, other citizens agreed to take a vaccine that wasn't actually a vaccine, but was only called a vaccine for marketing and legal purposes. The experimental gene therapy was coincidentally promoted by the same people who had officially stated previously that their goal was global population reduction but was not in any way correlated to their previously stated goal of global population reduction. Magically, everything returned to normal and the good citizens were given lollipops. The good citizens were given lollipops. At nine minutes past five and on this day, 25th of January 1974, the first of a competition at Christchurch Commonwealth Games. The opening ceremony at the Friendly Games had featured performance by schoolchildren and Maori concert parties. Uh, we had the next day, we had Canterbury runner Dick Taylor. He ensured the success of the Games with a surprise victory uh, at the host nation uh, of the 10,000 metre track race. We'll read more about that as we uh, carry on through the morning. Now, the big story, of course, was that um, the three-headed Tanifa, that's a three-headed monster, uh, that's what the, the, the enemy of Māori, that is how the government has been described at the Ratna Pa yesterday. 
And so, ooh, that wasn't so good, was it? And uh, it was a strong message from Māori and not to mess with the treaty. I don't think anyone does want to mess with the treaty. Who, who wants to mess with it? We just want you to understand the meaning of English words. Uh, tubers and trombones are familiar uplifting tones of the Ratna Brass Band were the most welcoming sound the government would hear that day, yesterday. Uh, in the speech, and speech after speech, the government was taken to task. Some in the audience even booed Deputy Prime Minister Winston Peters. The, uh, t- the Treaty of Waitangi is sacrosanct in our view, said Rahui Papa, uh, the Waikato Tainui tribal leader. Uh, and we had said we had uh, Kam- uh, Kamika Manuel. She said, I don't expect to be just spoken to. We want to be walking side by side, she said. And Papa, he added, if there is any measure of meddling with the Treaty of Waitangi, Māori will not sit idly by. That sounds they're very threatening, aren't they, the violent minority? Uh, Prime Minister Chris Hifkin, uh, Christopher Luxon, keep calling him Hipkins, I'm sorry about that. Um, Prime Minister Christopher Luxon, he pledged to honour the Treaty of Waitangi. He said the government has no plans and never has any, any plans to amend or revise the treaty, uh, treaties or the treaty settlements. He said we've worked so hard together to achieve. Why would we do that? The government will honour the treaty. While his coalition partners scolded the speakers for bringing politics to the pie, which I don't know, to the meeting. Haere mai ki Waitangi, come and visit Waitangi, said uh, Shane Jones, New Zealand First Leader. Uh, Jones told the crowd Waitangi was the place for this conversation. He said, I love debate, come to Waitangi and I'll see you there. Tēnā koto katoa, he said, which means um, uh, sort of a greeting, so, so catch you like cheerio sort of thing. Uh, it does. Something like that. Um, okay. And then he says, uh, and the usually silent, and they normally they are very quiet at Ratna. You don't have any of that sort of carry on. But obviously they're getting a wee bit upset. Oh, there's my ride helicopter just come over. You probably can't hear it because I've got a bit of a dampener on, I think. Yes, I've got the helicopter. They always, they always, I'm on the fly path. Always wonder when they're coming for me. Now, the crowd is usually quite silent, but. Um, Jones told News Hub, he said, I may have achieved the distinction of being the first politician to ever have been booed at Ratna, at the Ratna Pa. Uh, New Zealand First Leader Winston Peters, he didn't escape the flak. Uh, he said, well, face up to it. This is what he said to the audience, that the, uh, that's the Maori way. Uh, we're not blaming everybody else. That's what he said, to booze. News Hub asked the Prime Minister, Christopher Hipkins, as he was surprised. Were you surprised at the government being labelled as the enemy of Maori and a three-headed tanifa, and a tanifa is a sea monster? And uh, Luxon said, no, what I'm focused on is making sure that I have a good conversation with the Maori leaders, which I have been doing over the last year or so. And uh, Jones said, I sense that the uh, manaya that grip the tribe, or iwi said, uh, in the, uh, the seabed and foreshore is starting to trickle through over the principles of the Treaty of Waitangi. The government agenda dominated the agenda at Ratna, front and centre, was the ACT Party's uh, uh, treaty principles. That's what That was the problem, really, ACT. And uh, Nika Rua, she said, I think only one that needs, uh, um, I think the only one that needs a lesson 101 on the Treaty of Waitangi is David Seymour. But he's not here to listen to the cries of the people. Why would he? National and New Zealand First have agreed to support Act's bill through to the first reading at Parliament. I don't quite understand this. Oh, they support it or they don't. They just want to take it to the select committee. Uh, apparently, that's the only stage they want to take it to, and that's where it ends. But I, I, I just don't understand it. You just say what you mean. But they don't, do they? Uh, News Hub asked the Prime Minister if he w- had ruled out supporting the bill past the first reading, and Luxon replied, I've been really clear. I've been, now look, I've been really clear 
as a coalition government, we don't hit... Is that how they speak? Not really, eh? No, no, no. I've been really clear. As a coalition government, I don't want this, uh, to be commi- uh, any commitment beyond the first reading. And, he, and, and, and then he said, he said, as you know, the National Party, we've had a long-standing position with and have no intention of, uh, uh, no comment, uh, commitment rather, to, to uh, progressing the referendum. So it's pretty straightforward for us. Loxon said. <laughs> News Hub also asked Winston Peters the same question. <laughs> That's what he said. He said, I've had enough. I've had enough of this novice day. That's what he said. Naff off. <laughs> so there it is. It's a dead legislation, walking, but architect David, Se- uh, architect David Seymour will not back down. What does he say? They've uh, they've said that they have no commitment to go further. They've also never ruled out going. So that's enough for me, he told News Hub, holding out hope that and uh, for his bill. Okay, that is the big story there at um, News Hub. That's coming from News Hub. Other stories uh, on the front page there. Uh, we have a classic who done it. Police ask the public for help after a violent death of a man pulled from the Waikato River. A deeply concerned measles outbreak for Kiwis as the vaccination rates plummet, according to the Minister of Health, which is interesting, isn't it? Eh? Because I mean, I mean, my daughter, because back before we knew that how dangerous vaccines, childhood vaccines were, our daughter had the first bunch. She got measles and an old nurse, they're all pretending that she didn't, but an old nurse said, look, she just got measles. I said, well, how could she? She'd been, she'd been vaccinated against it. Said, oh, okay. Probably the, the what she got was caused by the measles, I would think, uh, by, by the um, MR, M, MMR, I think they call it. Anyway, uh, in Auckland, a person's been arrested after concerning comments sparked the closure of the Auckland CBD. Better have a look at that. And uh, so it was over, that was at Albert Park, and I think it was Albert Park where Posey Parker got a raw reception from some half-wits, didn't he, some leftist um, perverts. Now, a person's been taken into custody yesterday afternoon after police responded to a concerning comments made in Auckland CBD. Armed officers earlier swarmed around Eden, um, Albert Park, setting up a cordon in the area. Evacuations took place in the immediate vicinity. In an update just before 2.30pm yesterday, police said that the matter was safely resolved. One person has been taken into custody and charged with, uh, and being uh, charges are being considered, according to the police. And what else they say? A cordon surrounding Albert Park's been lifted. Yep. And evacuations earlier took place at the parks and the buildings immediately surrounding the area, including the Princess Street and Bowen Lynn, uh, Lane area. Uh, one man who spoke to News Hub said that he was he hasn't been told. Uh, when he is allowed to go back inside his own building. Since being asked to evacuate, he said, actually, we actually don't know what's happening here. The man who lives nearby said he was told to evacuate the building after police pulled the alarm. Uh, I'm just waiting now. I'm just... uh, having an ice cream and sitting here. That's what he said. Uh, News Hub captured footage of the police officers going shop by shop in the area, urging people to evacuate. Sorry to interrupt your coffee, but I need you to close, said one officer. Other officers were seen clearing the surrounding footpaths and directing pedestrians away from the area. It sounds like a bomb scare or something, doesn't it? Or some sort of a deadly pathogen. Probably more likely a bomb, I would think. Uh, yes, staff members of nearby stores... 
Gosh, for a moment I thought I had the microphone off. 19 past five, too. I kept, I've been told off that you've got to, if you want us to listen to you when we're driving and going you know, on our way to work and whatever, I need to know what the time is. We're getting ready, brushing with teeth. Our staff members of a nearby store, they were seen crowding together outside, several of them making phone calls. One woman who spoke to News Hub said that she was told to pack up everything while studying. All right, so we get the general drift. Police Eagle helicopter was also brought in, that was circling, and uh, we've got all strapped up uh, police officers there with their semi-automatic weapons and their scopes there, one armed cop there, there's a photograph there. Another woman, Mary Lou, she was visiting Auckland from uh, from uh, Canada, uh, she was uh, told that she can't access their apartment, and then we've got a bit more news now down yeah, now, what does it say? Now, I looked out the window, and I was the police, I don't think you need to know all this. Um, now, Auckland Transport said multiple buses were affected due to what is described as being an emergency services incident. They've changed all this. There was a lot more information there. I took the guy away. They went in with hazmats. Now, why have they taken all that out? They had has, you know, the hazmat suit, full suit. So, obviously, they felt that there was something about, now, the guy was in a wheelchair too. Why, where's all that miss, why is that missing? Hmm. Well, I wonder, actually, let's go over. That was no, no, that was that news hub. So let's go to Radio New Zealand and see if they've got an update on it. No. All right. Well, let's try Radio New Zealand, the 4am bulletin, see if Vicky Mackay's got one on it. Let's, um, let's go to Vicky Mackay now. Maybe she's got some information. RNZ News at 4. Kia ora. Good morning. I'm Angie Skerritt. Oh, it's Angie. Sorry, Angie. A strong magnitude 5.2 earthquake has struck southeast of Dannyburg and been widely felt throughout the lower North Island. The tremor, which registered at a depth of 8 kilometres, occurred at 18 minutes past 3 this morning and was followed by a magnitude 4 aftershock at 3.30. More than 5,000 people have reported feeling the initial quake on the government's GeoNet website. And RNZ listeners have been texting in, reporting strong shaking in the central Hawke's Bay and Wellington regions. Fire and Emergency says it has had no call-outs in relation to the shaking or reports of any damage. The government is brushing off criticism from speakers at Ratana who labelled it the enemy and a three-headed tanifa. The Prime Minister was challenged on the pie and told Māori would not sit idly by if there was any meddling with the Treaty of Waitangi in his kōrero. Christopher Luxon reiterated that National has no intention to support the ACT Party's Treaty Principles Bill past its first reading. Speaking to reporters later, he said he didn't mind the challenges and it was important people were free to express themselves. The New Zealand First MP Shane Jones, who along with his leader Winston Peters was heckled by some in the crowd, says a challenge is just rhetoric. At least 39 people have been killed in a fire at a shop in the city of Jinju in China. The blaze broke out in the basement of the building. The BBC's Laura Bicker reports from Beijing. Witnesses described people jumping and climbing out of windows. Dozens of emergency service workers have been sent to the scene and rescue efforts to free those still trapped are underway. President Xi Jinping has called for an investigation into the cause of the fire. Local authorities are also being urged to strengthen their safety procedures as this incident comes just days after 13 schoolchildren died when a fire broke out in a dormitory in Henan province. Wellington tenants say they're not surprised. Rent is one of the factors stopping the rate of inflation from dropping further. 
StatsNZ yesterday revealed the annual rate of inflation eased to 4.7% from 5.6% in the final quarter of last year. But cheaper food and fuel prices were offset by high housing costs. On Wellington's Lambton Quay, two tenants spoken to by RNZ said their rent has increased and now take 50 to 70% of their income. Another said the rent for her last place didn't increase, but that was only because the flat didn't comply with the healthy homes standard. A job market analyst warns that employers who move aggressively to reduce work-from-home options will face losing their talent. The latest insights report from the job listings website Seek shows that as the job market has cooled since September, the work-from-home rate has also dipped. The Seek economist Mac Cowgill says while some employers have flagged their intention to reduce flexible work options, they risk a backlash. He says individual employers are constrained in how assertively they can act because the hybrid work model is in high demand. And in sports, Wanaka snowboarder Lucia Giorgiali has won silver for New Zealand at the Winter Youth Olympic Games in Gangwon, South Korea. The snowboard slopestyle junior world champion was solid through her morning runs to qualify third for the final. It is believed to be New Zealand's first ever snowboard medal at the Winter Youth Olympic Games. And that's the news. You're listening to Grant Edwards, 88.1 FM, The Wireless, The World at Five. Kim Mr. Acting Deputy President, Australian cities are becoming digital surveillance precincts with so-called smart city programs being rolled out across the country. Invasive technology such as facial recognition cameras, licence plate readers, smart lights, smart poles, smart cars, smart neighbourhoods, smart homes and smart appliances all connected to wireless networks and communicating with each other. So what's wrong with that? Technology is good, isn't it? All this is for your safety, security and convenience, isn't it? Well, let me tell you, your streets are spying on you, your mobile phone is spying on you, your cities are spying on you, and the infrastructure for future lockdowns is being put into place right now. Don't be fooled. You're being set up to be tracked through your movements and through the future of your digital wallets. By handing over your data, you're handing over the ability to monitor your behaviour, which will soon be turned into a social credit score. And once the central bank digital currencies are in place, you won't get to spend your money without approval. Digital ID will soon become a reality in Australia. Many other countries are already rolling these systems out, countries like Canada, Scotland and many others. Eventually, you won't be able to access any government or public services and you won't be able to travel across borders or access healthcare or the internet without a digital ID. Think you won't comply? I think you will. The last two years were the dress rehearsal and we fell for it hook, line and sinker. Australians are sleepwalking into this technocratic future. And while we're sitting around, scratching our chins, trying to work out whether this is really happening, Australia is drifting towards a dystopian digital future. And that's Alex Antic there. It's 20 past five. Very good morning to you. Households are hit by the high price despite falling inflation, according to Economist. Economist says that while inflation has slowed, it does not mean prices are going down. The cost of essentials like rent and veggies are still up. Uh, than a few years ago. Cathedral Cove and Dock not confident of the track reopening. The Department of Conservation has conceded there's no guarantee a walkway to Cathedral Cove will ever reopen. What uh, it is working to find a stable, they are working to find a stable piece of land. Russia says 65 Ukrainian prisoners of war on a plane that crashed. Russia says there were no survivors and the plane that came down in the Belgorod region near Ukraine. 
And uh, Maori artist and uh, broadcaster Selwyn Maru has died aged 85. And Wanaka, snowboarder, makes history at the Winter Youth Olympic Games. And uh, a border collie recovers after a devastating dog attack. Uh, Lava cave found in Auckland every month. Really, didn't know that. David Seymour skipping Ratner, absolute ignorance, according to opposition MPs. Cyclone Kuriri expected to uh, impact Queensland coast and islands. Wow, that was good. Uh, yeah, it's all happening there. Oh, and Yastremska, her first qualifier in the uh, over 40 to make Aussie Open Tour. World number one. Uh, world, rather, I should say, number one, World 93, uh, Diana Yastrimska. She has become the first qualifier to reach the final four at the Australian Tennis Open in over 40 years. And uh, unimpressed, there was a penguin, penguin actually found wandering on the Wellington Airport runway yesterday. Wellington Airport Wildlife Officer Jack Howarth, he said the penguin had to be rescued, and it was in a less than impressive mood. Uh, Christopher Luxon, he repeats, no intention, no commitment to Acts Treaty Principles. There may be, uh, he says, there may be no commitment or intention to support it past the first reading at this point. But the Prime Minister has repeatedly refused to categorically rule out further support of it. Yeah, yeah, that's right, he doesn't want to tell you. And holding the world to ransom, the Defence Minister defends the decision to send personnel to the Middle East. Wairarapa Council gets $8 million to help flood-hit homes. And that's just about wraps it up there for Radio New Zealand. I'll be back in a minute and we'll look at some of the other newspapers, shall we? Making more money makes your life easier. You don't have to worry so much about education and doctor's bills. and So it does make your life better. You see, the number one course reason for divorce is lack of money, right. which was surprising. I saw it the other day. There are many more people getting divorced today because they have financial tr- The most important thing is always that the dissonant voices continue to speak out and, also extremely important, that they don't start to form a mass or a crowd themselves. Because that happens very easily as well. Happens very easily. Once a large-scale mass formation starts, the people who do not go along with them feel threatened and they can start to form a mass themselves. So it's extremely important not to form a mass ourselves. That means to form a group, a coherent group, and that what unifies this group should in the first place be the fact that everybody who belongs to the group can have his own opinion and can speak in his own way. 29 past five here at the World at One with Grant Edwards. Very good morning to you. Now, rats in the aisles were over at the Otago Daily Times and staff at a, uh, a Dunedin supermarket say rats are running rampant in the store and fear the public have been sold contaminated food. Yuck. And a power outage. A bit of a shock. The CPAP machine user, a central Otago woman, woke up gasping for air when the region's second major power cut in less than a week rendered her vital medical equipment useless. We might go into that story a wee bit later on. Uh, other things, other, uh, what have we got here? Oh, this is, you've got to be a subscriber to watch this one here. We'll give you the headline anyway. You might be a subscriber to the Otago Daily Times. Now, you can find them at O-T- ODT, ODT, oh, not OTD, um, ODT and uh, .co.nz. Milestone day for... A, a determinedly independent Dorothy. There we are. She's a hundred and not out yet. And she's she looks lovely. Uh, I wonder if they'll let me 
read it. Let's see. No, no, they want money. I go, no thanks. You know, no, you know, you're not getting any of our money. Now, um, age no barrier for cyclists. A group of cyclists in their 60s, 70s and 80s are growing. Oh, they just moved away. I'll go back to it. There we are. Uh, they are growing old disgracefully. <laughs> After having completed a trek around the peninsula, growing old disgracefully. Oh, I like that. Now, what else have we got? The Milford Sound, the stars in spectacular airline video. Qantas, a new onboard safety video, features Milford Sound, as well as 13 other spectacular locations. And uh, Teen conquers gruelling ultra. The Southland Teen was so deeply deprived uh, that he began hallucinating about chocolate boxes and trapdoors during a gruelling 200-kilometre race. Is he on a bike? Ooh, he's all rugged up there. Has he got an arm missing? Oh, no, he's not. It's just a bad photo. Okay. Now, what else have we got there? A dram. Would you like a dram brewery? I like a weird dram brewery. Thank you very much. A dram, fine way to mark a milestone. This is uh, Cyril Yates. When he raises a glass this week to celebrate 50 years since he turned up for his first day's work at the Wilson's Distillery, it will be with a very special triple. A bit of dram brewery. Would you like a dra- wee dram there? Well, I wouldn't mind working in a distillery. I think that'd be interesting. Not that I want to drink booze. I do. I do. I, do, I go through stages sometimes. I haven't bought. I haven't bought any beer or any. I haven't got anything in the house. Actually, normally have something and should always have some whiskey or something like that or some brandy, something strong in case you have a heart attack uh, for medicinal purposes. Of course, <laughs> that's the excuse. But it's very true. In actual fact, uh, when we studied homeopathy, if you take, um, if you have a heart attack. And there's a lot of people having them at the moment, isn't there? And we'll talk about that as well, because someone, I think, 39, just just dropped dead dead while she was giving a eulogy at her father-in-law's funeral. Just dropped dead. So I'll bring you that story. I think the New Zealand Herald has that. 28 minutes to six. Now, um, what was I talking about? Gosh, I forgot what I was talking about. Oh, well, can't have been very important. (laughs) Yeah, well, these things happen, don't they? Here's the old age. Uh, or lack of coffee, or or maybe too much coffee. I don't know. I do not know. Uh, well, let's look at this if I can find that story now. Uh, it was sent to me last night, uh, New Zealand Herald. Oh, we've got one poor girl. She's um, she said her body is falling apart, and she's pleading to let to for the government to let her die. Uh, currently, the end of life legislation is only an option for people who are terminally ill. Now, yes, it's very interesting. This. Uh, it's a pretty sad story, and you'll find it over at New Zealand Herald this morning. Um, New Zealand Euthanasia Laws, Tapo woman, she has a degenerative disease denied dignified death by terminal illness rules because you know, she's been living with it since she's 29. I think she's in her 40s now. New Zealand woman with multiple degenerative disease is begging government to change the assisted dying rules so she can die with dignity. The End of Life Choice Act 2019 currently requires that that the patient has a terminal illness likely to be um, to end the person's life within six months, uh, but New Zealanders are uh, with degenerative, uh, not necessarily terminal diseases, but the restrictions of the law are leaving them in severe pain without an end in sight. So her name is Nicola Martin, and she has applied to die with dignity under the end of life legislation, but didn't meet the criterion of having a doctor certify that her illness was terminal. Despite meeting four out of the five criteria for assisted dying at age 50, oh, she's now 50, she was unable 
to prove a a six-month life expectancy, leaving her feeling trapped. I should have died 10 years ago, she said. Martin's relentless decline in health started with severe daily joint dislocations and constant pain in her early 30s. I've been on prescribed opioids since age 27. Hmm. Yes. Now, she's got this thing called Ehlers-Dandlos syndromes. It's EDS. And she caught that from her father, apparently, he's inherited. Uh, he died age 53. Her social life deteriorated after she prioritised work, spending the rest of the week recovering until she was, wasn't able. Now, uh, my right arm kept dislocating, so it was excruciating. My body just started f- to falling to bits, she said. It was a, pro- a progress to multiple organ failure, numerous surgeries, including bladder removal and requiring a urostomy bag. Uh, what do you call those things now? I think that's right. You're lost to me, bang. Oh, no, it didn't sound right. I don't think I've got that right. Anyway, so this is her. She faces excruciating, unmanaged pain. Organ, why is it unmanaged? Uh, dysfunction, organ dysfunction, severe allergic reactions, chronic kidney infections. Oh, wee, poor girl. Uh, her, her husband of 20, quite, quite a number of years, he didn't, about 20 years, I think, they didn't, he didn't want anything, her to, you know, end her life. But now he's starting to um, to see, and she doesn't look so good now. She doesn't look very happy at the moment. Uh, okay, so that's a bit of a sad story, isn't it? But that is the story that they sent me. Uh, other, the Albert Park Police uh, stalemate. Now, oh, it's the Herald that have a bit more information on that. I'll be back in a minute uh, with um, a bit more information on what happened at Albert Park. You know, the people of this world don't like Bible-believing Christians anyway. Uh, they think that we're an impediment. They think we're odd. They think we're weird. We, they think we're stubborn. They think we're standing in the way of progress. So one of these days, we'll be out of here. One of these days we'll be gone, and then the restrainer will no longer be here, and at that time, folks, uh, you might as well try to dam up Niagara Falls with toothpicks as to hold back the flood of wickedness and, and evil that will come upon this world. That time is known in the Bible as the Great Tribulation. Who cares about the truth when everyone is watching the tragic comedy starring Zelensky? The first thing his PR team did after February 24, 2022 was a new image, the military style, as if the president had just returned from the front lines. The unshaven look, the sunken face due to sleepless nights of hard work. However, narcologists would argue all the signs of cocaine abuse are evident. Constant nose sniffing, an inappropriate reaction. Speech is solely from the prompter, but British specialists took precautions they even created a hologram of the Ukrainian president. All of these technological possibilities can change public life. This addiction can be explained. It is quite common in the acting industry from which Zelensky comes from. Unfortunately for the country, the Ukrainian president not only didn't quit, but apparently let himself go. It all began with weed. Medical marijuana, in my opinion, is normal. It is sold in small quantities, droplets. In 2020, Zelensky proposed legalizing cannabis in the country. At that time, his suggestion didn't go any further. However, everything changed when the war began. It's no secret that Ukrainian soldiers get stoned before going into battle. And weed is the least harmful substance they consume on the front lines. Though they have someone to look up to in that regard. (laughs) 
This is very pleasing to American and British intelligence agencies. It would be a sin not to take advantage of a drug-addicted president for their own purposes. He is completely manageable. I suppose that Western handlers supply him with the purest drugs. It brings to mind the opium wars when England, in order to advance its interests, addicted almost the entire Chinese elite to drugs. I cannot speak for all of Zelensky's inner circle, but he himself alone was enough to accomplish what would never work with a sober person. You're listening to Grant Edwards, 88.1 FM, The Wireless, The World at Five. Yeah, The World at Five. Thanks very much, Chris. Oh, that's a shame. I just messed that one up. Yeah. Oh, never mind. Okay. Um, that's a bit sad about that woman. You know, I probably shouldn't have read it out in the breakfast program, should I? It's a bit, it's a bit not very uplifting for this time of the morning. Yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit of a weird thing, though, isn't it? You know, wanting to die. But, oh, I don't know. Especially, unless, I suppose if you're walking in their shoes, you might have some idea how they're feeling. But I don't know. If you're not a Christian, then you've got no hope. Ooh, be, I wouldn't want to be 50 years old and not know Jesus Christ as my saviour. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to. That would be just horrible. Be horrible. And you can find out about that too. Just read the book of John. Read the, read the whole book. Why not? Get to chapter 3. By the end of chapter 3, you'll know whether you want to be part of it or not. Uh, but if you don't, boy, it's a dire warning because uh, it's not good. Not good. So, um, it's, it's just, But it's good news. That's what gospel means, the good news. Not the gospels. The Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but I mean, I, I mean, uh, the Gospel message. There we are. Christ died for our sins once and for all, not over and over in the Mass. We don't need Mary worship. We don't need her as a conduit so we can get to Christ. The Bible says we can go directly to the Lord through through Jesus Christ. There we are. Fire the Holy Spirit. How about that? All three are one. That's that's one thing they did get right in the Roman Catholic Church, and that's the Trinity or the Godhead. Right, and there's a lot of people out there now that don't even believe that. We've got uh, Brian Tracy telling us all about the ugly frog, and then we'll um, have a look at the newspapers. I'm just sort of fiddling around here at the moment, but I'll get things sorted. Don't worry. Almost 20 minutes to six. Now, the eat the frog concept comes from a story where they say if you, the first thing that you do in the morning is you eat a live frog, you'll have the satisfaction of going through the day knowing that's probably the worst thing that can happen to you <laughs> is eating a live frog. And the two corollaries of this principle are, if you have to eat two frogs, eat the ugliest one first. Now, the frog is your biggest task. It's the one you're most likely to procrastinate on. It's also the one that will have the greatest positive impact on your career if you do it now. And so if you have two really important tasks, do the most important one. We say do the worst first. Do the biggest, ugliest one. And the second corollary is that if you have to eat a frog at all, it does not pay to sit and look at it for too long. So what you do is you start on that task. This is Kasadi Pope. That'll give us a few minutes to get myself organised. 19 minutes to 6. Good morning. I tried to find you at the bottom of a bottle Laying down on the bathroom floor My loneliness was rattling the windows You said you don't want me anymore And you left me
plus nine And I'll do everything I gotta do to get you off my mind Cause what you wanted I couldn't get What you did, boy, I'll never sound very good laying down on the bottom of a bathroom floor. We can get Facebook going again now, so we've got that cranking. So I always switch it off because they, they always ping me and then I've got to write to them and then they then they say, oh, yeah, we restored the sound and all that. Like We pay our APRA fees every year. It's an annual fee that we pay so that we hope that the money gets to the artist. We, that's another thing, though, isn't it? 15 minutes to six. Now, uh, I call her Kasadi because she's made a bit of a uh, a bit of a point of having the two D's on the end there, Cassidy, <laughs> but really it's Cassidy. But if you spelt if you spelt her name properly, then we'd know it was Cassidy, wouldn't we? Yeah, I suppose you would. Yes, I know. I don't know why people do these things with their names. Why do people want to fiddle with their names? Well, you fiddle with your name when back in the in the nineteen nineties, you played your chain, you put two A's in your name. Did I? Yes, you said you wanted to be remembered. People remember you, Grant. Like, oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, I did too. That was right. I was in advertising and marketing back then, though, wasn't I? Yeah, I suppose you were. Well, you've been with me for a long time now, Digger, haven't you? Yeah, quite a few years. Remember we used to do the Mark Bennett show in the morning and I'd come on? Yeah, I do remember. Yeah, and I would do the weather, didn't I? I did the weather and the traffic. No, did I do weather? No, I didn't do weather. I did drive. Uh, the yeah, What do you call it? Uh, traffic report. That's right. I used to get the traffic report from um, who was it? Peter Everett. I don't. I don't think he's with us now. Peter Everett used to give me the traffic report. Then I used to talk about it. This was at Classic Hits, um, and Mark Bennett did the breakfast show there. He was great. I really enjoyed working with him. And now I think he's um, what's he? I think he's with Harcourts. I think he's got his own uh, business there. I think he's. I think he's in it. He had a deer farm. I remember visiting him out there in the. Uh, just sort of northwest of uh, Auckland, but um, he was uh, yeah he's with the Harcourts 
It's his own company. It's a commercial. That's right. That's what he does. Yeah, well, he's a good bloke, old Mark Bennett. Yeah, that's right. He used to go, he used to go, Digger! And you'd go, Yeah. <laughs> I remember that one on um, November. That What was it now? When is, um, when's that race they have... Um, Oh, what's it? The the um the Melbourne Cup. Oh yeah, the Melbourne Cup. Yeah, that's right. I remember. I remember the Melbourne Cup. And I was, I said, now let's look at some of the horses. Now we've got uh, underwear. And then Mark would say, he'd say, what did he say? He'd say, no, it's not. It's un, it's unaware, digger, not underwear. And you, what did you say? Oh, I said, oh, it's just the way you say it. That's right. You did. All right, the 14 me, you better shut up now. Go back and come. How about you make me another cup of coffee? All right, then. Had you a couple of sugars? No, you know I don't have sugar. Give me, Just put some honey. We, we have our own bees here. I'll have some honey. All right, then. I'll be back in a jiffy. Okay. All right, so we're looking at um, education. Now, education has f- failed our children, according to Elon Musk. Are you a U.S. citizen? I am, indeed. How's your civics knowledge? Horrible. I have no clue. What civics? Bruh. What three branches make up the government? Oh, yeah, no, I can't pass it. <laughs> what two parts make up Congress? How old do you have to be to be president? I know it's in the 50s. Who runs the executive branch? Let me look that up real quick. Who did we declare independence from? Like, what do you mean? Like, <laughs> Spain? Great Britain. Oh. Do you guys remember the, the Giants, you know, war that we fought? No? Nobody remembers that? How many members of the U.S. House of Representatives are there? Eight. Four. Twelve. 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 Four hundred thirty-five. That ain't so good, is it? Not so good. 13 minutes to, hey, I'm over at the Otago Daily Times and I can't get out of this. I'm saying, no, I don't want to subscribe. Oh, there, we're, we're right now. We're right now. Okay, now what else have we got there on the front page? Well, we've got a oh yuck, we've got a rape trial. Ooh, uh, a consent not communicated as I was asleep. Ugh, that's not very nice <laughs> for this time of the morning, Grant. Uh, demolition is wrong. Uh, there is a, there's a video here. I wonder if they've got their videos organised over there. No, they want me to pay as well. Now, once you do that, you go under the subscription thing and they won't let you get out. No, we don't want to go there. Let me see if I can get out of this thing. There we go. Um, no, we, won't, we will not be paying subscriptions to any newspapers in this country, any fake stream media. Uh, new planes, high student numbers, but trends. New planes, high student numbers. Let's see if they'll let me read that one. Oh, so we got, yes, uh, there we are. We've got the new planes, high student numbers, but the trend. We've got all these Muslim-looking people learning to fly uh, at the... Um, it looks like the uh, Airline Academy of New Zealand. There they are. Now, what do they say? Well, this is what they say. They say nine people are winging their way to the Omaru Airport uh, to join the newest and most modern flying school in New Zealand. The New Zealand Airline Academy, the NZAA, ordered 10 new planes late last year. Uh, one has already landed. Uh, to join the their primary training fleet of 17 aeroplanes. The nine New planes yet to arrive consist of eight high-tech, what they call Tech Nam, a PT-208, uh, what's that, 2008? Why don't they just make a shorter name, take all the zeros out, a PT-28? I'd do it. High-winged model, uh, and they've also got the uh, Tech Nam, the P-Mentor, the NZAA co-director and academy uh, co-founder. Uh, his name is, it looks like Selroy, Selroy 
Mascarinhas. So I wonder where he's from. <laughs> said they set out to be the most, to be the best flying school they could be, with a focus on the highest safety. Is this an advert I'm reading here? What have you got yourself into? Oh, I don't know. But I mean, they look like Muslims learning to fly there, and you, you know they haven't got burqas on. Or what do you call it? Um, they just look very sort of Middle Eastern to me. I mean, are we teaching them how to fly planes these days? <laughs> what, do, what do they want to fly for? Why do they want to fly? Oh well, let's see what else is happening now. A cruise ship is due to cruise into the coral, uh, cruise ship coral uh, geographer is due to arrive in Dunedin this morning from Akaroa. From Akaroa, what's that about? I thought they go into Akaroa. Uh, cruise ship coral geographer is due to crew to arrive in Dunedin this morning from oh I see from Akaroa. The vessel because it's Otago Daily Times. Remember we're reading the vessel with a capacity of 120 passengers and 48 crew is expected to berth at the TU sheds. What's the TU sheds? Oh, I don't know. We have to find out, won't we? Go yeah. You get back and make my coffee. Okay. Um, that's going to be at 7.30 today, so just in another hour and a half, just over, and then it'll sail to Stewart Island at 4 o'clock. There we are. Oh, it'd be good. I'd like to go to Stewart Island. My father-in-law, he sailed all the way from the UK, went right through the islands, I mean, through Panama and blah, 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 and then down to New Zealand, across the Tasman a couple of times, within a storm of 80 knots there, said goodbye to his wife, Dawn. He thought this, they, she, they thought this was going to be the end of it for them. Sorry to get you into this, he said. <laughs> and um, he actually sailed right round. He followed Captain Cook with, in his 38-foot uh, sort of Scandinavian yacht, him and his wife, and that was when he was in his 60s. He's probably about my age when he did that and sailed all the way down, you know, doubtful sound and, you know, and then down, all the way down to Stewart Island. And we were up on our boat. We were up in the Bay of Islands one Christmas and, and Nana and Pop, they were down in Stewart Island and we were talking to them. Of course, it's a flat earth, you see, because you can't talk to them. Uh, <clears throat> oh, gosh. Behave yourself, you flipping idiot. The world spins. It's a ball. Okay? It's a ball. How many times do I have to tell you? This is one of the things I almost fell out with you over. I know. Well, you know, I got sort of sucked into it. My mate who's a plumber, he told me that the earth is flat. And I said, oh, rubbish. And you um, said, well, you, well, you should have stuck with that idea because it is rubbish, utter rubbish. I mean, don't you give me any flat earth rubbish around here. Okay, we won't do that then. Seven minutes too. But anyway, we were talking to them on the SSB. That's the single sideband. We were talking to Nana and Pop. And, oh, it was great. It was great. We were up in the, I think we were, were we in the Bay of Islands? Yeah, I think we are. We're, you're a puka puka, I think, which is uh, Paradise Bay. And my son was there this year too. He had a wonderful time. And he met the people that um, whose um, uncle, and they all used to have holidays on it, it was the very first fiberglass boat to come into the Bay of Islands. That's my son's got that boat. It's a 30-foot easterly, and he's uh, in the middle of doing it up. And um, so that was, it's called Kiwi, and it was up there at Waitangi on pile moorings there for many, many years. Since 1969, the very first boat, in, it was fiberglass for the Bay of Islands. And uh, she was a real speedster. She's got an extended boom on it. So it can really, and, and you know, some extra gear on it. And uh, there's a photograph in the um, yacht club there, the Bay of Islands Yacht Club at Waitangi, of this boat, Kiwi, and uh, with a big spinnaker out the front. Uh, so she was quite a quite a racing boat in the day. A bit small though, uh, apparently. Um, Blue was the name name of the guy that used to own the boat, 
And he was quite a character, apparently, quite a kind of character. Okay, so that's, uh, and that all came from me just uh, talking about the cruise ship, Coral Geographer, was due to arrive in Dunedin. Uh, correction, the, o, the Otago Daily Times editorial on Wednesday quoted Dr. David Ben Pope saying that it was inappropriate, if not offensive, for Dunedin to send its rubbish elsewhere. Well, look, we're, look, we're in South Island, isn't we? We're mainlanders, so let's go and have a look at it. Let's have a gander. Uh, now, it says here the Otago Daily Times editorial on Wednesday quoted, uh, oh, hang on, no, what's CR, David ben, Benson Pope? Councillor? Oh, gosh, I should know. Anyway, Benson Pope saying that it was inappropriate, if not offensive, for Dunedin to send its rubbish elsewhere. Benson Pope actually said it was inappropriate, if not offensive, as we reported on Tuesday newspaper. There we are. They print their own mistakes. I used to print my own mistakes when I was publishing. It's quite good. Now, a man's been trapped after a crash. Uh, this uh, is not so good. Uh, it was uh, trapped. He's trapped in a truck following a single vehicle crash at Miller's Flat yesterday. Let's check that one out. Oh, no, they want me to pay. No, we're not going to do any paying. Oh, we're going somewhere else then. We'll go and have a look at that fellow that ran over those birds in the Haraki Gulf. What a halfwit. And then he put it on Instagram. And he went to court. And it's actually, it's, it, he, he ran over with his boat, came speeding at this flock of birds. And then he pretended, oh, I couldn't, I couldn't avoid them because, because um, you know, I had passengers on board. But he was videoing it, a four-minute video. Or was it four second? Anyway, he went through them. Let's uh, let's check that one out just very quickly. Social media content creator who drove a powerboat into a flock of endangered birds at speed then boasted of the likely fatality collision on Instagram, argued yesterday that uh, he um, hang on, have a cough that he shouldn't be convicted of the crime because it might damage his professional rugby prospects. You little poofter, you you little twenty four year old. His name is Matt Jolina. He requested instead entering uh, entering conviction and what is this? The judge, however, rejected the 24-year-old Matt Girolina's request instead entering a conviction and ordering him to pay $2,500. You're lucky because it's a $250 fine and two years, $250,000 and two years in the clink. That's what you get. Now, the Riverhead Auckland resident was uh, skippering the boat on the Hariki Gulf near Simpson's Rock on September in September 2022 when he charged the vessel at an estimated 30 knots, which is about well, 35 mile an hour, into a large flock of fairy pri- uh, prions. Well, they, and the Maoris called them Titi Wainui. And they'd been resting on the calm surface. Sometimes they are a bit hard to spot, but I don't, I don't think so. No, I don't think I'd accept that. And uh, so he said... Uh, as it approached the flock, this is what the judge said, as it approached uh, the, uh, the the flock, the boat made no attempt to slow or deviate its course to avoid striking the birds, court documents state. The occupants of the boat are heard yelling and laughing in the video. They then pass through the flock. The video also included the text, We effin' love birds, eh? Uh, laughing emojis. Uh, so a bird expert who reviewed the four-second video for prosecutors noted the birds were likely to have been hit and would have either died immediately or died from starvation if they'd had broken bones. Julina, who chronicles his international travels and outstorming activities to about 2,500 followers on his public Instagram account, later came to the attention of the Department of Conservation after a member of the public alerted them to the post. 
Uh, we've got the North Shore District Court, uh, David Swain. He is uh, a doc investigative um, spokesman. He said, we were horrified by the vote. Of course you would be. Everyone's horrified by that. It's not, not good. I think he's a deli too, by the look of him. I think so. Anyway, because uh, he's played for Yugoslavia. Um, and it's, it's, well, it was just a gross disregard for wildlife. There are animals that are in their natural habitat doing their thing and then have a speedboat driven straight through the middle of them with no attempt to slow down or deviate its course. And then you hear laughing about that in the video. It's extremely disappointing. Julina was charged with hunting or killing prohibited marine life, which carries a maximum punishment of two years, I thought it did, and imprisonment, uh, yeah, two years imprisonment, and $250,000 fine. But what did he get? $2,500,000. Uh, in October 2022, interview with uh, Doc, Juralina acknowledged that he was driving the boat while also filming that day. He said that he didn't notice the birds until it was too late and that he felt that the sudden deceleration would put his four passengers at risk. <laughs> Pull the other one. His nose is growing. Has he got a big nose? It's starting to grow. It's going to grow. You're telling lies. Juralina was charged with, oh, uh, we got that. Uh, now, he said, I'd rather have a few birds get hurt than a few people, he said in the interview, adding that the decision to post the video on social media, that was where, he, where the wheels fell off his argument, didn't it? I didn't view that I would have done as serious. I didn't view that what I had done as serious and potentially causing damage. I just kind of done the thing accidentally. Can't speak properly. And then uh, for the uh, brief two or three or five minutes thought it was a little bit funny. I don't think that's funny. Defence lawyer Miramia Hura, she said that her client was very remorseful, it doesn't sound it, for his actions and reiterated. Oh, that's right. Yeah, reiterated. Reiterated. Okay, reiterated. Reiterated her client's view that he had no other choice than when considering the safety of his passengers. Bullshit. That's what I say. Uh, then when she read from the bird guide, noting that the fairy prions are often hard to see on the water. This is the lawyer. She's a good one, isn't she? Um, her name is Holder. She's the lawyer. She um, pointed out that her client had recently, um, recent month played for Croatia's national rugby team. Yeah, so what? Kakosi. <laughs> Dobrafala. <laughs> oh, you know a bit of um, you know a bit of jelly, do you, Digger? Yep, grew up with them jelly mates. Well, this one doesn't sound like a very nice person, this particular guy. And uh, so this was a rugby both in Europe, here in New Zealand as well. A conviction, she argued, that's the lawyer for this geek, uh, that it might stymie his potential for making a more dif- making it difficult for him to travel internationally. But Professor Kip McNabb noted that Julina, Julina, her name is, his name is, it's probably Yuli, Yulina. It's probably, isn't it? He's got a J in it, but it's probably not pronounced. probably just a Yulina. Uh, had previously been convicted in 2017 at the age of 17 for assaulting a security guard. And that uh, had caught him with friends trespassing. That existing conviction, she noted, hadn't dampened the ability to play overseas so far. McNabb played the video which has since been removed from social media during today's hearing. Judge Catherine Maxwell referred it to uh, referred to it before declining the discharge without conviction. She said, I am not entirely sure that I accept your position, that you did not intend to hurt or kill the birds. She said, you, are, you appear 
at odds, or what you say appears to be at odds with what is clearly visible in the Instagram post. So there we are. So that's the end of that, really. Craig Cap- Capitan. Capitan, that's interesting. It's probably just a sort of a, a, a transliteration of Captain. Capitan, that's his name, Craig. He's an Auckland-based journalist covering courts and justice. He joined the New Zealand Herald a couple of years at the beginning of the pandemic, and he has reported on the courts since 2020. Oh, no, he's been doing it for a while. So, yeah, so he's been at it for a while. So there we go. So McNabb, they played the video, and he said, I'm not entirely sure. Now, what is it? the Herald request for the footage was denied. Uh, Swain, the um, doc official, is said outside the court today, it's, it is not unusual in the social media age to receive tips like this, this one that resulted in uh, Yulina's, I think it is Yulina, Yulina, yeah, that's the one, conviction. But he thanked the tipster in the current case and offered a warning to others who post crimes on social media. It's hardly a crime, is it? Oh, is it a crime? It's a misdemeanor, minor. Uh, it's not good. It isn't good, though. You shouldn't do that. You don't do that to animals. What's wrong with you, you half-wit? Yeah, it's callous, really. I think if people are callous to animals, maybe they could be mean to people as well. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they could. Now, Auckland Mayor Wayne Brown, he says AT... What does he say? He says... Oh, I've lost it. No, here we go. Auckland Transport, AT. That's Auckland Transport. Oh, they've gone back to calling it by its proper name. Auckland Transport. Wasn't it Kotangi Wingawonga or something? I can't remember. Oh, gosh, you idiot, Grant. You've gone and talked right through the news. Oh, gosh, what's wrong with you? I don't know. I don't know. Okay, well, what are we going to do now? Oh, well, we'll have to... Should we, should we get some Aussie news from Sky News? I wonder if they've got any news today. I'm sure they have. Or what, how about the latest bulletin from Sky News? OK, here it is now. Donald Trump has won the New Hampshire primary vote, beating candidate Nikki Haley and tightening his grip on the Republican presidential nomination. The state was touted as make or break for the Haley campaign. As many predict, she will have to suspend her campaign before the primary is in her home state of South Carolina. As for Donald Trump, it's shaping up to be a likely rematch later this year against US President Joe Biden. Woolworth CEO has responded to backlash to the retailer's decision to drop Australia Day themed merchandise, insisting it's not trying to cancel the day. The supermarket giant has released a full page advertisement today explaining its decision, saying in terms of merchandising, our commercial decision to not stock specific Australia Day general merchandise was made on the basis of steeply declining sales. The decision to stock this mostly imported merchandise has to be made almost 12 months in advance. So as a business decision, it doesn't make commercial sense. Woolworths is also calling on customers to treat its employees with respect, noting a 50% increase in reports of aggression and abuse towards staff. Nick Kyrgios has ruled himself out of contention for this year's Paris Olympics and says he is considering retirement from tennis soon. He says he's not sure when he will return from an injury that has ruled him out since the United Cup last year. The 28-year-old cited his battle with the Australian Olympic Committee prior to the 2016 Olympics as part of his decision to not play at this year's Games. Kyrgios hopes to be back in time for Wimbledon later this year.
Some emergency callers in Victoria are waiting more than a minute for their triple zero calls to be picked up. In November last year, just under 1,400 Victorians were left hanging for more than 60 seconds while calling police. By contrast, 90% of calls made to triple zero in Victoria are answered within five seconds. The discrepancy between callers being answered promptly and callers forced to wait has renewed calls for a review into answering benchmarks. Former South Australian Premier Stephen Marshall has announced he is quitting politics. He will resign as member for Dunstan in the coming months, triggering a by-election in his East Adelaide seat. In a statement, Mr Marshall says, after almost 14 years in Parliament, now is the right time for me to step aside and allow someone else to step forward and serve the people of Dunstan. It's been revealed the Chinese warship which injured Australian divers off the Japanese coast ignored multiple warnings. In November, the Ningbo destroyer turned on its hull-mounted sonar when it was 2.2 kilometres away from the HMAS Toowoomba. Documents obtained under Freedom of Information suggest the Australian ship told the Chinese vessel to turn off its sonar, but it failed to do so. The incident left the divers with mild headaches and eardrum irritation. China's ambassador to Australia, Xiao Chan, last week claimed a Japanese ship was responsible, not the Ningbo. And you can stay up to date by streaming Sky News on Flash. Visit skynews.com.au forward slash flash. The safety of these vaccines have been clearly established. The long-term effects that the people are apparently concerned about really have with, with I'm sure there is a very, 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 very rare exception but the long-term effects are really essentially non-existent. Do we have any data about you know, vaccines and the, the back end of that or the negative side of that? There's been a, yeah. a number of studies. New York yeah. Times just did one about um, sure. menstruating cycles and how that is affected by vaccines. Yeah, though, well, the menstrual thing. Hear, hear how he's derogatory towards women. The menstrual thing. Yeah, the thing uh, is is something that seems to be quite transient and, and temporary. That's the point. That's one of the points. We I wonder whether they're going to lock him up. They should lock the lock the sod up. You know, he's old. She should put him in jail and let him stay there till he kicks the bucket. We need to study it more. We need to study it. You mean you're, you're giving out you're giving out vaccines and you haven't studied it? Plus the other side that just keeps putting out misinformation and disinformation. No, no, we're telling the truth. We're telling the truth. You're the one that's a disinformationist. You're telling lies, Fauci. You're a liar. Seems to be tireless in that effort. An article in the San Francisco Examiner, I think, the oh, yeah. Sunday magazine section, which was just phenomenal. I still have a picture of it. It says, um, I call you murderer, an open letter to an incompetent idiot, Dr. Anthony Fauci, the director of NIAID. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to Grant Edwards, 88.1 FM, The Wireless, The World at Five. You're going to have to stop coughing on the air. You've got to turn the thing down when you're talking on the air. How about some weather? People want to know the weather. 88.1 FM, The Wireless, Weather. 
All right, uh, the weather. We've got weather this morning, and the weather or not, I'm going to do get through it without making a mistake. There's another thing. Now, Gisborne, highest still with 18.8 degrees. Lumsden's the lowest with 4.4 degrees. The windiest place to be is the Port Hills in Christchurch, 28 kilometres per hour there. And Napier Airport now has 0.2 millimetres of rain. Let me do a refresh on that, because I think I just talked about that before. Shouldn't do it automatically, shouldn't it? Yeah, the temperatures have increased a bit. It's dropped a wee bit in Gisborne with the sun coming up, and it's got even lower in uh, Lumsden, 3.3 now. Castle Point's overtaken uh, the Port Hills. It's uh, Castle Point, 24 kilometres of wind, and it's dry right throughout the whole country. Stewart Island's on 10 degrees this morning, Invercargill 7, Dunedin 11, Timaru 12 degrees, Chatham Island's 14, Queenstown 5 degrees, France Joseph 7, Westport 9 degrees, Nelson has 11, and Blenheim has 9 degrees. In the North Island, it's uh, 13 degrees. In Wellington, Palmerston North 12 degrees, and uh, Masterton's on 12 as well. Napier's on 15, Tarpo 12, 14 in Rotorua, New Plymouth is 8, bit chilly out there in the east, out next to Mount uh, Mount uh, Taranaki. <coughs> it's t- Taranaki. Don't say Mount. Oh, hang on, I've got my characters mixed up there. I, I thought it was um, New Plymouth, uh, New Plymouth was um, Mount Egmont. No, it's Taranaki. You've got to say it properly too. Taranaki. Oh, okay. All right, Gisborne, 19 degrees, 8, 8 degrees in New Plymouth. Uh, Rotorua, we got them. Hamilton, 12 degrees. Tauranga. 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 Okay, Tauranga. All right then, 16 degrees. Whangarei. Whangarei. Oh, okay, Whangarei. Uh, 15 degrees, and Kaitai has 17 degrees. Let's look at the short forecast for all of New Zealand, valid until midnight tonight. How do you know? It's midnight tonight. They might change it during the day. They made it. Anyway, let's look at it. In the west from Northland to Tamaranui. Now you got that one right. Uh, also for Coromandel, it mainly fine weather with isolated showers this afternoon and evening. For Gisborne and Hawke's Bay and the Wairarapa and all the way through to Taihapi. There you are, OK. Uh, partly cloudy with a few showers. The Bay of Plenty to Tupu and Taranaki and Wellington. Generally fine weather for you today. Uh, down to the South Island, uh, Nelson has and Marlborough and Canterbury as well. Mostly fine with isolated showers, mainly from the afternoon. Bullard and Westland fine apart from some evening cloud. You know, you shouldn't be mucking around when you're doing the weather. Why not? Well, because people just want the weather and they just want to get on with it. You've just got to read it straight, OK? And, and you're not very good at your character voices this morning. No, I'm not. Okay, Buller and Westland, fine apart from evening cloud and late rain from about the southern Westland area. For North Otago and Dunedin, often cloudy with the odd shower. Central Otago and Clutha, also for Southland and Fjordland, cloudy with showers in Fjordland, but fine spells elsewhere. Rain developing in uh, Fjordland. See? The weather bed's finished and you're still gas bagging. I know. Rain developing in Fiordland this evening with scattered falls spreading east. Now, the Chatham Islands, it's a beautiful fine day for you today. <sighs> ah, back to Fauci. Dr. Fauci, knowing that it is a crime to lie to Congress, do you wish to retract your statement of May 11th where you claimed that the NIH never funded gain-of-function research in Wuhan? You are implying that what we did was responsible for the deaths of individual. I totally resent and that. Have and if anybody and is lying here, Senator, it is you. I, I totally reject that premise. They all say that, the commies, don't they? 
do you think that Dr. Fauci intentionally lied under oath to Senator Paul when he vehemently denied NIH's funding of gain-of-function research? I think there's no doubt that NIH was funding gain-of-function research. Is it likely that American tax dollars funded the gain-of-function research that created this virus? I think it did, not only from NIH, but from the State Department, USAID, and from DOD. So, in your expert opinion, was the Wuhan Institute conducting gain-of-function research on coronaviruses? Thank you. Dr. Redfield, did you agree, in your opinion, with Dr. Anderson's assessment at the time that this virus did look engineered? It was very disconcerting to me. It looked like this virus was engineered. In one sentence, can you provide a definition of -of gain-of-function research? I think it's to take a pathogen and try to increase one of two things or both to increase its transmissibility or its pathogenicity. Has gain-of-function stopped a pandemic, in your opinion? No, on the contrary, I think it probably caused the greatest pandemic our world has seen. Oh, I don't think so. 14 minutes past six. I'll tell you what, Dr. Sam Bailey would disagree with you. You can find her at drsambailey.com. You're listening to Grant Edwards, 88.1 FM, The Wireless, The World at 5. 88.1 FM, The Wireless, New Zealand News. Well, it's wonderful having all these things to play with, isn't it? Yes, it is, actually. Yes, it's wonderful. I like all these things that Chris has given me. Chris is a wonderful chap. He's over in the UK and he does uh, all the imaging for the radio show. Isn't it great? Now, New Zealand news, is it? Is that what we're doing? Okay, well, I don't know if we've got any new New Zealand news. Let's go to New Zealand news. Oh, yes, tax freeze. I'll just turn that thing down a bit. She's a bit something in my ear, giving me a bit of a headache there. Uh, oh, now I've got, yes, I have. Okay, now New Zealand news tax freeze for cigarettes in, uh, oh, so it should be a tax freeze. It's terrible. The price of cigarettes. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so this is uh, New Zealand First Minister's plans. Instead of increasing each year with inflation, it's not inflation, it's just tax. Tax on cigarettes should be frozen for three years under a plan suggested by Associate Health Minister Cassidy Costello. Good on you, Cassidy. There we are, a magnitude 5.6. I think Radio New Zealand mentioned that in the 4 o'clock bulletin. Uh, this was the earthquake, 5.2 earthquake shakes the Hawke's Bay. The first earthquake struck at uh, 18 minutes past 3 this morning, followed by a magnitude 4 aftershock just 12 minutes later, according to Radio New Zealand. Uh, also, that Maori will not sit idly by. The Prime Minister is warned against meddling with the Treaty of Waitangi. Bahui Papa, a representative for the Kingitanga and the Waikato Tainui, says that they are watching the rhetoric coming out of the beehive very closely. And Metsurface rolls, Metsurface rolls out uh, storm and fire notifications for app. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, that'll be good. We'll have to update the app. The Weather Monitoring Agency says the, uh, or are they the fake stream weather mo- monitoring a- agency? They say that the feature is particularly, uh, uh, not, it's not particularly, it says partially. Oh, partially. It's partially responsible for the widespread confusion during last year's floods in Auckland. So they're going to sort that one out. And that's just new news come in. Hey, I've got the six o'clock bulletin. Why don't we let them tell the story? Let's do that. We'll go over to Radio New Zealand News and we'll have a listen. It's uh, 16 minutes past six. This is Radio New Zealand News. RNZ News at six o'clock. Atamaria, good morning. I'm Karen McCarthy. Cigarettes would be insulated from the full effects of inflation under a proposal from New Zealand First Minister Casey Costello. At present, tobacco excise is increased each year in line with the Consumer Price Index, or CPI. 
RNZ has seen health ministry documents that say the Associate Minister, Ms Costello, is proposing a three-year freeze on CPI-related excise increases for smoked tobacco. Ms Costello would not confirm to RNZ that she wanted a three-year freeze on the tax, but said she had some sympathy for the idea as smokers were now a small group with a big financial burden. This year's political calendar is off to a feisty start, the coalition now having been challenged to spell out its vision and aspirations for Māori at Ratana. The Prime Minister fronted criticism of his government's policies in Whanganui yesterday, having agreed in coalition negotiations to support legislation to rewrite the Treaty of Waitangi through to its first reading in Parliament. Kingi Tanga representative Rahui Papa criticised the government's suite of Labour policy rollbacks, asking Christopher Luxon if he had his own ideas. Let's repeal this, disestablish that, abolish this all in the negative framing of the language. So we're asking, what is the plan, Prime Minister? What is your plan to go forward? Christopher Luxon told the crowd his government has goals of better health care, more school achievement and less welfare dependency. The UN Humanitarian Agency in Gaza says at least nine people were killed and 75 injured when shells from an Israeli tank hit a training centre where hundreds of displaced people had taken refuge. The agency says its teams are trying to reach the site. The BBC's Mark Lowens has the latest. The UN Agency for Palestinian Refugees says tank rounds hit a building in one of its training centres in Khan Yunis, where hundreds of people had been sheltering. Israeli troops have encircled the city and issued evacuation orders for more than half a million people there. Intense fighting around hospitals has left thousands of patients, staff and others unable to leave. Israel says Hamas launches attacks from hospitals and medical units. Efforts involving several countries to try to reach a ceasefire are ongoing, with one plan said to include a month-long truce and phased release of Israeli hostages and Palestinian prisoners. But both Israel and Hamas appear to have rejected proposals. Palestinian officials say the Israeli army has closed the main escape route for hundreds of thousands of civilians who've been sheltering in Khan Yunus. The Russian Defence Ministry says a military plane has crashed in Belgorod near the Ukrainian border. The ministry says 65 captured Ukrainian army servicemen being transported for exchange were on board, along with six crew members and three escorts. The local governor says there are no survivors. The BBC cannot yet verify who was on board or what caused the plane to crash. A spokesperson for Ukrainian military intelligence did say a prisoner exchange had been planned for today. First-time homebuyers lifted their share of the housing market to a record 27% in the December quarter. The chief economist for the property consultancy CoreLogic, Kelvin Davidson, says first-time buyers are the success story of 2023. He says they outpaced all other buyer groups in the housing market. First-time buyers made about 17,000 property purchases last year, compared with investors who bought about 14,000 homes. Meanwhile, the Insurance Council says there are valid reasons for skyrocketing household premiums. StatsNZ yesterday revealed that high housing costs, including insurance, kept annual inflation from falling below 4.7% last year. The Insurance Council, which represents insurers, says there's no doubt premiums increased markedly. Its chief executive, Tim Grafton, says the international companies that insure the insurers, called reinsurers, have increased their rates and decreased the amount of cover available. Reinsurance costs have gone up between 25 and 40 percent 
and they account for about 20 cents in the dollar for the premium that people pay. And the reason that's gone up is because there have been a significant sharp increase in extreme weather events. Tim Grafton says severe weather also hit local insurers' pockets, as did continuing building cost inflation. A strong magnitude 5.2 earthquake southeast of Dannyverk was widely felt throughout the lower North Island. The tremor, which registered at a depth of 10 kilometres, occurred at 18 minutes past three this morning. It was followed by a magnitude 4 aftershock at 3.30, with three lighter ones in the next 15 minutes. More than 5,000 people have reported feeling the initial quake on the government's GeoNet website, and RNZ listeners have been texting in, reporting strong shaking in the central Hawke's Bay and Wellington regions. Fire and Emergency says it has had no call-outs in relation to the shaking or reports of any damage. That's the news. Ah, thank you very much. It's 21 minutes past six. You're here with Grant Edwards. That's my name. And we are on the uh, on the wireless. Yes, that's the uh, the wireless FM, Wellington, Hawke's Bay and also Northland. Now, uh, in a moment, I'm going to play a nice song from Eric Paslay because you've got all the news you need to know now for the next few minutes. Uh, let's uh, let's hear from Vera Sharav. She's a a, 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 um, a survivor, a Holocaust survivor. And then we'll have Eric Paslay, wonderful song from him. Technology and modernism and convenience have become the end all and be all. They are what's valued. And you really, really have denigrated the idea of what's human, humanitarian, human values, right and wrong. Everything becomes relative. As a result, few people recognize foreboding similarities between current policies and those under the Nazi regime. By declaring a state of emergency in 1933 and 2020, personal freedom, legal rights, and civil rights were swept aside. Repressive, discriminatory decrees followed. In 1933, the primary target of discrimination were Jews. Today, the target is people who refuse to be injected with experimental, genetically engineered so-called vaccines. Oh, that's right. Vera Sharav. And this is Eric Paslay, a song about a girl. Oh, yeah. 24 minutes past six with Grant Evers on the World at Five. Tailgates ain't about bonfires, ain't about souped up cars, water towers, drowning in a bottle of Jack. This ain't about Chevys, ain't about money, ain't about blue sweet shoes, can coupe shoes, got nothing to do with that. It's a song about a girl that goes like this. Should've, could've, 
It's a nice little tune, but uh, the the lyrics, uh, you know, you know, song about a girl, duh, 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 song about a girl, over and over. Yeah, but anyway, he's good, isn't he? Eric Passley, and uh, who have we got oh, coming up? Got a bit more country music coming up this morning. Hayley Witters is there, and also Jana Kramer. She is there as well. I'll be back in a minute when we'll uh, see if there's any new news coming up that I can bring to you at 27 minutes past six. How has the feminist movement of the last few decades gone for you? I mean, we've seen families disappear. Here. Um, 150 years ago, the average woman had seven kids, 85% of people were married. We're more depressed than ever before. We're on antidepressants. Um, I mean, women, over the age, of, women over the age of 45 are the least happy demographic. So, again, I've said this before, marriage isn't marriage anymore. The average marriage is seven years. We have things like no-fault divorce, leave if you're unhappy. So what if, does that mean, marriage isn't marriage anymore? Again, marriage, marriage was about duty. And that, this is the problem we have with women. Like women, Men tend to be better people than us. Yeah, they really do. They tend to, no, 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 no. They, they tend to do the right thing. <laughs> 28 minutes past six, and we're over at News Hub now. And first home buyers hit a record high share of the property market in December. New data has been revealed. People purchasing their first property made up to 27% of the buyers of, in December, and also for the entire quarter, according to that's a quarter Q4 on the oh, I see. According to Core Logic, the higher than recorded than and it's higher than recorded in 2021, when they made up to 23.1% of the market. Uh, David Ke- uh, Kelvin Davidson, 
Is he, you were going to say David Calvertson, weren't you? No, no, I wasn't. Just slick, slick, you're slastaxic. You're dyslexic. That's how you keep saying, I know what I say. Uh, anyway, his name is um, Calvin Davidson. He's the chief property economist for CoreLogic, and he said first home buyers had a... Had it good in 2023. He says this is the first time the FHBs have ever been out, the first home buyers that is, have ever been, have been outbought the other buying groups. Uh, that could be due to a number of things, Davison said, including uh, access to KiwiSaver loan to value restrictions, that's called LVR, uh, compromising on the property or less com- competition from investors. Property investors with the mortgages had a quiet 2023, making up. 21% of the activity. Well, that was because, I don't know what that was because. That was election, that's why. Uh, that's, yes. And uh, this marks the lowest activity in the market since 2005. However, property investors who don't have mortgages accounted for 13% of that, uh, which was not too far off the record. Owner occupiers moving house were also relatively quiet in the uh, fourth quarter, according to Davidson, making up 25% of the activity. And uh, owner-occupiers relocating normally accounts for the largest part of the market. Davidson said the uh, LVR restrictions and high interest rates were dampening speculation by property investors at the moment, but added their market share has just started to edge higher in the past two months. Residential property prices are likely to continue rising in 2024, but may be underwhelming, he said. Uh, he goes on to say, as the property tax uh, changes, uh, they sort of click into the deductibility rest- It's going to be restored to 80% from 1st of April, and it, will be, it should be 100%, if you ask me, uh, and it will be interesting to see how investors... Demand responds, he said. Uh, Now we've got the Reserve Bank and uh, they announced this week that it will soon overhaul the rules, overhaul the rules for the retail bank's mortgage lending. It plans to bring a debt to income, a DTI they call that ratio, uh, at the same time as the LV, easing the LVR restrictions to reduce the risk of the economy uh, from, uh, reduce the risk to the economy from property. DTI rules restrict how much debt borrowers can take on relative to how much they earn. The residential property market is now worth $1.59 trillion in New Zealand. Nationwide prices rose 1% in December, a third increase in a row. The main centres have been recording larger increases than smaller ones, with a few exceptions like Queenstown. Property sales were 28% higher in December 2023 versus the year earlier. The figure accounts for private deals and real estate agents. Annually, there were 66,000 homes sold last year, which is well below the average of 92,500 homes. Davidson said the new home listings picked up uh, again later after the summer holiday period. There were 3,100 new homes listed in the four weeks to January 14th which is below the five-year average of about 4,000. Rentals, rents have risen 7% in the year to December, uh, above the long uh, term average of 3.2, above the long-term average of 3.2%. It's running, he, what he said, it is running historically high levels, uh, which reflects the less supply and more demand. In October, Barfoot and Thompson said record net immigration was having more impact on rents. Annual net migration to New Zealand hit a record high of more than 128,000 people in December, all coming from Muslim countries, no doubt. 
and they breed like flies, don't they? They have eight kids every, to the family on average. Now, we had that strong quake in um, a magnitude 5.2, I believe it was. Yes, a uh, 5.2 magnitude earthquake struck 20 kilometres west of Porongahau on Thursday. That's over in Hawke's Bay, isn't it? Central Hawke's Bay. That was uh, this morning, and it was widely felt throughout the lower North Island. The tremor, which registered at a depth of 10 kilometres, occurred at at 18 minutes past three and was followed by a four magnitude aftershock at 3.30. More than 5,000 people had reported feeling the initial quake. 5,000? Oh, on the GeoNet website. Oh, I see, that's how they do it. That's good. Now, you can find that GeoNet. They're on X as well. It's just at GeoNet. You can follow them. I should follow them now. Oh, now you'll forget where you're going. Uh, we're, oh, OK, we're back now. Yeah, we're back now. Yeah. Fire and Emergency New Zealand said they had no call-outs in relation to the shaking, which was felt strongly in places. It also received no reports of any damage. And that is brought to you by Radio New Zealand and News Hub. Uh, I am reading this from News Hub. Now, uh, Kiwis warned of potentially long, messy conflict with, amid Houthi attacks. It comes after the government announced it would send six Defence Force personnel to the Red Sea. That's not very many, is it? Six. I suppose they must be pretty good, pretty pretty good chaps. Now, we're still over there at News Hub, and any news stories there? The enemy of Māori, government told not to mess with the Treaty of Waitangi at Ratna. That's Ratna yesterday. Deeply concerning, the measles warning for Kiwis as vaccination rates plummet. And this is uh, Dr. Shane Retty uh, is um, reporting on this one. Of course, he's, uh, he was going to stop ivermectin and um, what's the other one now? Hydroxychloroquine. He thought that was all bad. But we know, don't we? Because we've done our proper research. We've done our own research. Oh, you're doing your own research. Yes. Um, um, a, near, a, hit, a near miss with, uh, ha- has prompted the warning from the health authority. I'll just stop this video. Health authorities, after 15 New Zealanders were exposed to measles, in a recent flight, uh, f- flight from Australia, it comes as cases surge internationally with outbreaks linked to plummeting vaccination rates. Yes, well, because your vaccinations that are causing the thing in the first place. New Zealand's in uh, 2019 measles epidemic was the worst in two decades and spread to Samoa. More than 80 lives were lost and most of them were children. I think they just make it all up. Now, there are fears it could happen again. Now, Dr. Shane Retty said, I've been deeply concerned about measles for a long period of time, he said in a statement issued on Wednesday. T. Wataora, what's that? That's the health department, uh, warned unvaccinated Kiwis to travel overseas as me, who travel overseas, not to travel rather, uh, as cases surge across the the world. The uh, health agency said 15 people travelling to New Zealand two weeks ago had been exposed to measles uh, in Australia, 14 of them were immune and one has been quarantined. Well, lockdown. Uh, now, Dr. William Ranger, he said in a statement, it is a strong reminder that if people want to avoid the risk of becoming seriously ill while travelling uh, and enjoying themselves overseas on their holidays, they need to make sure that they're fully um, immunised. Oh, I wouldn't use that word because <laughs> it doesn't immunise you, does it? My child was... Uh, fully immunised at the start, Gabriella, and she got measles. <laughs> Two doses of measles vaccine before they go, and that'll make you sick for the rest of your life, if you ask me. Being immunised, it's, and it's safe and effective too. Bullshit. I know, it is. Absolute bullshit. That's right, being immunised to, uh, to, to protect those around you. Oh, rubbish. Don't tell us this. 
<laughs> what about all the people that got COVID? And they said it was going to stop transmission. We don't believe it. That's why there's no, no one, people aren't getting vaccinated now because they don't believe you anymore. Uh, anyway, this is what they say here at News Hub. Uh, with the plummeting vaccination rates, it could mean next time Kiwis might not be so lucky. Oh, Vivi. I think, who's this? Oh, this is Dr. Retty. He says, I think every time we get a positive measles outbreak, most of the clinicians like myself hold our breath. Oh, well, that's because you you're, you're, uh, you believe this crazy paradigm, don't you? This allopathic paradigm. We think, oh, goodness, I hope it's isolated. And uh, I hope the uh, index case is uh, isolated and doesn't progress because the immunisation rates we have at the moment, uh, we would be at risk. There have been, no, we're not. No, we're not. You're not going to hurt your kids getting a dose of measles. There have been a sharp drop in the rates since the coverage peaked in 2017, down by almost 10%. For Maori, whose rates have fallen off the cliff, he says, they are more than 24% below 2027. These are the vaccine rates, I suppose. And it is a similar story for Pacifica children. New Zealand's critically low vaccination rates are part of an international trend. Yeah, that's right. The COVID-19 pandemic significantly affected regular childhood immunisation schedules for many immunologists. Diane Sika Paotonu told NewsHub. The UK Health Security Agency has declared a national incident with more than 200 confirmed measles cases. How many are dying? In Europe, the World Health Organisation has issued an alert after a 45-fold increase. Is that percent? Or just 45 people? I don't know. I do not know. Uh, there, there are similar concerns in the United States, Asia, the Middle East, and now Australia, uh, where two babies are seriously ill, from, pro- probably from the jabs. However, the infectious disease is preventable. Yes, don't get jabbed and you'll be fine. Yeah, you'll be absolutely fine. We know that because of Steve Kirsch's. He'd had 10,000 people that he sent out a questionnaire to about health. Out of those, 1,000 of them had never had a childhood vaccine and the mother had never been vaccinated and none of them have chronic diseases or allergies or neurological diseases. Well, that's because they didn't get vaccinated. Oh, is that right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So this is a bullshit story. It is 21 minutes to seven. I want to talk briefly about climate science because we've seen COVID science has been smashed. Uh, This is um, Senator Malcolm Roberts in Australia. Earlier today I promised to talk tonight on why the climate change cult of doom and their rebranding to climate boiling is scientific nonsense. Let me do that now using my favourite thing, empirical scientific data. Referencing a peer-reviewed paper titled World Atmospheric Carbon Dioxide, CO2, its 14C specific activity, non-fossil component, anthropogenic fossil component, and emissions 1750 to 2018, published in Health Physics Journal in February 2022. It's a long title, but it saves the phone calls from fact-checkers. This paper used cesium-14 to analyse carbon dioxide in the atmosphere across the period 1750 to 2018. After 1750 and the onset of the Industrial Revolution, the anthropogenic hydrocarbon component and the non-hydrocarbon component in the total atmospheric carbon dioxide concentration began to increase. Despite the lack of knowledge of these two components, claims that all or most of the increase in carbon dioxide since 1800 has been due to the anthropogenic hydrocarbon component have continued since they began in 1960 with Keeling curve increase in CO2 from from burning fossil fuel. 
The specific activity of 14C in the atmosphere gets reduced by a dilution effect when hydrocarbon carbon dioxide, which is devoid of 14C, enters the atmosphere. We have used the results of this effect to quantify the two components. The results negate claims that the increase in carbon dioxide since 1800 has been dominated by the increase in the anthropogenic hydrocarbon component. We determined that in 2018, atmospheric hydro anthropogenic hydrocarbon CO2 represented 23% of the total carbon dioxide produced since 1750, with the remaining 77% in the exchange reservoirs. Our results show that the percentage of the total carbon dioxide due to the use of hydrocarbon fuels from 1750 to 2018 in increased from 0% in 1750 to 12% in 2018. Much too low, much too low to be the cause of any claimed global warming. The fundamental basis of the theory of anthropogenic global warming has been found by analysis of atmospheric gases to be completely wrong. Nature, as I've said many times, controls carbon dioxide levels. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Senator Malcolm Roberts. Thank you very much, Steve Senator. Steve Kirsch coming up. Steve, you're on. Nobody in Congress is asking to analyze the vials. Nobody in the mainstream media has ever asked what's in the vials. And the public doesn't want to know either because the public's not asking what's in these vaccines. No. If people understood what was in the vaccine, they'd go apeshit. They would go apeshit. It is 19 minutes to 7 o'clock at 7 o'clock. I hopefully I won't talk through it this time. We'll have TNT Radio News coming up for you. And we're also going to have just a three-minute little spiel of uh, Steve Kirsch. You'd just about call him doctor, couldn't you? But he's not. Uh, he's a billionaire, anthro uh, not an anthropologist. <laughs> the study of man, anthropon, is man. No, he's a um, philanthropist, not a, not a philanderer. <laughs> I, well, I don't think so. Anyway, uh, 18 minutes to seven, and uh, we've got Steve Kirsch coming up. But before that, what's the story with the pedestrian crossings? Auckland Mayor Wayne Brown, he says Auckland Transport is wasting money. Well, why don't you haul them in? Auckland Transport has lost the plot over the cost of pedestrian crossings when a lick of paint will do, claims Wayne Brown, Auckland's mayor. The Auckland uh, mayor said that he was uh, reopened Reopening to read in the Herald. Sorry, right, right, right. Hang on, hang on, hang on. reopening. How did you get reopening out of ropeable? Oh, it says I, I know. That is a problem. I had too many whiskies because I got to pluck up a bit of courage before I come on the radio. All right, <clears throat> let's try again. Um, Auckland City's mayor said he's ropeable to read that in the New Zealand Herald that AT is spending hundreds of thousands of dollars installing pedestrian crossings in Wellington City. Well, uh, oh, no, no, it doesn't say that. It says when. Oh, and when Wellington City Council is spending tens of thousands of dollars, which is too much anyway. He says the public don't like that sort of money being wasted. AT spends so much doing uh, so little. <laughs> <laughs> they can do it cheaper elsewhere. Brown went on to say, as soon as they do something, they seem to do everything. And if you're just doing a crossing, you just need to give it a lick of paint, frankly. And there's a photograph of him there with his, um, his spectacles slightly raised and he's sort of got, he's pinching the top of his nose and just looking down. He's just, uh, he just thinks it's just terrible. Transport Minister Simeon Brown has also weighed in on the issue, arguing it is unacceptable that Auckland Transport is spending on the new raised platforms and speed bumps. They don't need all that. And not only uh, is this a significant cost, but the increasing number of these raised platforms that have been installed, particularly on busy roads, simply increases the travel times and reduces the productivity of the network. AT has spent $6 million on 12 signalled crossings. 
You've got to be joking. At an average cost of $500,000. Oh, oh, can I have the contract? Oh, I'll do it for m- much less. And it is in the process of spending uh, close to another $7 million on 15 more crossings as part of a road safety program. Brown called the AT board weak uh, for not bringing staff into line over the costs, saying that he has appointed a new board chairman, Richard Leggett, who's going to instruct them to halt all work on their pedestrian crossings. The mayor also scathed AT for spending $490,000 on a new raised pedestrian crossing at Williamson Avenue in Grey Lynn, not far from his home, <laughs> calling 172000 of the cost on traffic management a disgrace. And he goes on to say that uh, that's not a new pedestrian crossing. It's taking an old pedestrian crossing, spending $490,000, turning it from a pedestrian crossing into pedestrian crossings, which, which was uh, into a pedestrian crossing, which was crossing, which was working fine. They spend money on drainage uh, and there is no drainage problem. Uh, the drainage problem is caused by the raised pedestrian crossings because when you raise it, the water can't run down the gutters, Brown said. Uh, he's a trained civil engineer, so I think he should know. Previously, AT uh, Chief Executive uh, Dean Kim, uh, Kimpton, he says, he also a civil engineer, he said Williamson Avenue crossing was not gold-plated. Uh, he said five catch pit upgrades, stormwater improvements, graded channels and central pedestrian island pedestrian areas on both sides amongst the curb and channel footpath and bus stops upgrades. Lighting all need to be done for safe pedestrian a- access walking uh, to reduce the risk of flooding. Yeah. Oh, no, that's not bullshit. Yeah, no, that's quite right. Uh, and that's just more uh, waste, is it? Just paint the lines on it. Just go out there with a stencil and a spray can and paint some white lines on it. That you're, and if you want to know what they look like, you just look at the front cover of the, I think it's um, the Beatles. They've got a perfectly good example there of what they look like. Brown said, this is the mayor, he said there are people at AT who have convinced themselves that it is good, uh, that is good spend of money. And it's not. To do subdivisions and not control speed, we roll out plastic road bumps. They cost $500. They, AT, that's Auckland Transport, have lost the plot in terms of value. The mayor said the government is stopping funding for road safety programs because they do not give any additional road safety. I reckon they cause you blimmin' problems. Flippin' hit the things. And the council is not going to fund uh, its share of the program. Uh, yeah, yeah, look at it all. There's speed bumps and all bits and pieces there. There's a fellow walking down the road with very, like, Janola bottle leg, coloured legs. In this photograph, over at News, uh, New Zealand Herald, we are today. They're letting us read this one without having to pay for it. Simeon Brown said he is currently working on officials to rewrite the government's policy statement on transport, which will outline the government's transport priorities. National has promised to reallocate $3 billion for road safety programs to spend on its roads of national significance program. In response to the mayor's comments of losing the plot and spending money on things that others do cheaper, uh, Auckland Transport spokesperson said, who, who is it? <laughs> who doesn't say? We've changed our approach on how we work since the project. We will be looking at different uh, options going forward. I should think so. More broadly, we are working with our suppliers, mainly Fulton Hogan, who are ripping you off, uh, determined... Uh, we where we can use precast concrete. You don't need any of that rubbish. You don't need to raise them up. 
Just paint lines on it, you dip, you dipsticks. That's, the, that's an old one, isn't it? Dipstick. He's a bit of a dipstick. Yes, he is. It is um, 12 minutes to 7. Have you lost interest in this one yet? Uh, well, I'll just give you a bit of an idea. How much does it cost? Well, let's have a look. Williamson Avenue Pedestrian Crossing cost. The design and consultation consent. What do you think? Oh, yeah, 500 bucks? No, $80,000. What about earthworks and clearing the site? Only 19000 so they're obviously not ripping you off. Curb and channel traffic islands, signs, road markings, and surfacing, 34000 So the big cost is in the design and consultation consents, eighty grand. Concrete speed table, 33000 Footpath, pram crossing, update, uh, rather upgrade, lighting, 47000 Traffic management, 172000 What does that mean? Oh, that's for paying people to stand there while they do the work, is it? Stormwater upgrades, $87,000. Site monitoring, quality assurance, $18,000. A total cost of $490,000. And that is just for the one at Williamson Avenue, which Brown's upset about because he now goes over a bump on the way to work every morning. That story is brought to you by the New Zealand Herald. And uh, yes, uh, you can find them at NZ Herald. Dot co dot nz. Now, a living legacy. Which rich listers build golf courses? Well, we all know who it is, don't we? It's Michael Hill. Let's see if it is Michael Hill they're talking about. It looks like Wayne Brown in the photograph there. He's looking on. He's up on the putting green, and he's just eyeing up his balls there. Not his balls, but you know, look. You're just looking at his ball to see if. Oh, you got into trouble over that one, there. Now, Jane Parry, she reports. Oh no, and but she wants me to pay a dollar fifty a week. And uh, let's see the offers. Let's see if it's worth it. Okay, get the full story. You can get the Herald Premium Weekly for the first eight weeks at eight uh, for a dollar fifty, and then at six dollars. Oh, then when you renew it at six dollars a week, that's too much to pay, isn't it? Six dollars a week. Think what you could buy with six bucks. You get a cup of coffee for that. You probably get more out of a cup of coffee. No, let's move away. For, or you can get the Herald Premium, which is um, $149 for the first year, and you save $103, or the Herald Premium Special for just 25 for the first 20 weeks, and then once you've done that, it's $6 a week. There we are. So, no, I don't think so. I don't think there's plenty of news out there. We don't need, we don't need you. Uh, why don't we pop over to the centrist and see if we've got some news that's not been um, played with, shall we? Yes, that's a good idea. And then we might go to Australia and see what they've got. On the boil for us. We've got new listeners? Oh, yes, gosh, we've got, got a few over there. Oh, not so many here. Um, they've all, but then they come in after seven, just before seven. For some reason, uh, they um, they take off just before seven. They all come back again. But we're doing okay on streaming, so that's good. We've still got someone. We're listening to someone, so we just switch off and wait for them to come back. No, we won't do that. Uh, let's see what happened on this day in history. Well, uh, the 25th of January. Hey, look, if you're having a birthday today... Happy birthday. On the 25th of January, 1974, uh, the opening ceremony of the Friendly Games, they called it, had featured performances by schoolchildren and a Maori concert party. The next day, Canterbury runner Dick Taylor, he ensures the success of the Games with a surprise victory for the host nation in the 10,000-metre track race. Now, Taylor's efforts were even more memorable because the field included English world record holder David Bedford and three top-flight Kenyans, uh, whose over-ambitious early pace uh, played into Taylor's hands. The Kiwi cat and mouse, uh, Kiwi's cat-and-mouse tactics against another Englishman, David Black, 
in the latter stages of the race before he pulled away on the final lap made it one of the game's signature moments. His winning time of 27 minutes and 46.4 seconds was then the fast, sixth fastest 10,000 metre ever run. Uh, no New Zealander had significantly run faster until Zane Robertson recorded 27 minutes 33.67 seconds at the Rio Olympics in 2016. At 25, Taylor's best years should have been ahead of him. Instead, his career was ended within months after with the onset of arthritis. Dick Taylor was made an inaugural member of the New Zealand Sports Hall of Fame in 1990. That's a great story. And that, uh, was, that happened at the uh, Commonwealth Games on this day, 25th of January, 1974. Uh, do you remember 1974? Some of you weren't even thought of by then. Now, let's go over to Radio New Zealand and see if they've got any new news. Uh, former All Black, a decade of repeated drunken violence against women. Byron Kelleher was, uh, has drunkenly attacked women over and over again. The impunity he has enjoyed must finally end, say his victims. And this has just come through. And there's a photograph of him there. He looks like a nice chap, but perhaps he's not. Now, Dana Johansson, she is reporting. She's a sports correspondent for Radio New Zealand, rnz.co.nz. The text message uh, stopped uh, Juliana Desta in her tracks. Four words that brought back the trauma she'd spent in the past four years trying to suppress. He's done it again. Attacked, the attacked was a link to, uh, rather attached to the link, uh, attached to the link uh, to the news, to news story about Desta's ex-fiancé, former All Black Byron Kelleher, facing domestic violence charges in France. Soon her phone would be flooded with messages linking to headlines from around the world. According to the reports, which originated from the French newspaper over there, uh, Kelleher last week appeared before the 24th Chamber of the Paris Criminal Court on charges allegedly committed against another former partner. The police complaint detailed how Kelleher allegedly assaulted a 37-year-old woman during a violent altercation at their home in June last year, according to the claim that he dragged his former partner down the hallway by her hair. In the, in the victim's uh, statement to police, she described how episodes of verbal and physical violence were frequent occurrences in the relationship, recounting an incident in Mauritius in February 2023 in which local police were called and another alleged assault in May last year on Prince Albert uh, on, of um, uh, Monaco's boat, on his boat. Nasty. I think he's out there with the prince. He behaved himself. Keller Higgard denies the allegations. Well, yeah, well, see, that's his side of the story. So there's always two, two sides to every story, isn't there? And uh, a famous... Uh, he was the Assistant Commissioner of Scotland Yard. He was the head of the CID. His name is Sir Robert Anderson. He wrote the book The Coming Prince, which is well worth getting, and you can get it free online as well. And it details the 70 weeks of Daniel's um, vision. And um, But anyway, uh, he always says, this is a quote from him, what's to be said for the other side? Now, this while Keller, he, he denies the allegations, while he acknowledges the couple argued, he claims he had not touched her. The woman's story felt all too familiar for Desta. The high-flying lifestyle, the parties, the glamorous events, the drinking and the violence. The reports compelled Desta, who met Keller in Bali in 2018 in September, to speak out, speak out about her experiences.
And there we are. Look like a happy couple. But obviously they're not. Over the course of the couple's tumultuous 16-month relationship, the Auckland-based makeup artist alleged that she was physically assaulted multiple times with the violence escalating each time. Police authorities in three different countries were called after episodes of violence, including a terrifying incident in Barcelona in a hotel room there in July 2019, in which Dester alleges Kelleher punched her, strangled her and tried to suffocate her with a pillow. She said, I thought I was going to die. It was scary. I was praying, please God, let me see my son again. Kelleher spent two days in a Barcelona jail after the incident, uh, but when Dester uh, elected not to press charges, the pair returned to Bali together. <laughs> As they do. What's wrong with these women hanging out with violent men? Uh, I know, and I've met, I've met a few of them, boy. I've met a few of them there with my friend, and I've said, look, we'll come and we'll get you up, we'll get all your things. He was, he was beating her up. We said, we'll sort it out. And, but she didn't. She stayed with the idiot to get more of a hiding. I don't know what it is. What is it with women they want to go with these violent men? You know, and women that go with gang, gang people as well. What's that all in aid of? It's just, uh, it's just nuts, isn't it? Uh, I was stuck in a cycle. You were all right. You need to just pull yourself together. Listen to what your father says. He said, get out of there. I bet you didn't tell daddy that it, that's what he was doing. Gosh, if my daughter told me that um, her fiancé or boyfriend or whoever was uh, touching her, I'd tell you what, uh, he'd be in trouble. Uh, something horrible would happen. This is what she said. And then Kalika would be all lovely and all romantic like, like a honeymoon. And then he would drink and become abusive again. So he's obviously got to stop the booze. But really, it's not the booze. What it is, the booze just lowers your, um, your um, sort of, um, you know, lowers your, uh, your whatever. It stops your, um, oh, there's a word for it. I can't think of it. But it makes you, your, your inhibitions. Yeah, it lowers your inhibitions. And so the truth comes out. You're a violent, angry man, if this is true. These are all alleged there. He looks like, you know, very charming. Um, but oh, I don't know. Anyway, so that is that story there, and you can find it over at rnz.co.nz. Tax-free for cigarettes is New Zealand First Minister's plans. Instead of increasing each year uh, with inflation, the tax cigarettes charge is going to be frozen for three years under a plan suggested by the Associate Health Minister Casey, that's the Shadow Minister, I like the way the Aussies say that, the Shadow Minister Casey Costello. The strong magnitude 5.2 earthquake shakes the Hawke's Bay. Thousands have reported feeling the earthquake and several aftershocks. Māori will not sit idly by by the, while the Prime Minister, he was, warned, he was warned against the meddling with the Treaty of Waitangi, according to Rahui Papa, a representative of the Kingitanga and Waikato Tainui tribes. Uh, they say they're watching the rhetoric coming out of the beehive very closely. I'm sure they are. Now, it's almost 7 o'clock, and hopefully this time I will make sure that I get the uh, TNT Radio News for you. It's actually a bit nippy in here this morning, isn't it? It's a bit cold. It's a bit cool. It's quite nice, though, quite welcome. It's a bit like having an air conditioning unit with that current coming up from the... Um, from the south. Uh, Cathedral Cove Dock are not confident of the track reopening. The Department of Conservation have conceded there is no guarantee a walkway to Cathedral Cove will reopen. Why not? Why not? Why won't it reopen? Uh, they're worried about the curry dieback, I suppose. But it is working to find a stable piece of land. There's an audio over there at rnz.co.nz under Cathedral Cove. And Papua New Guinea, uh, Ping, Ping, PNG diplomat under investigation for sexual assault in the Solomon Islands. A senior Papua New Guinea diplomat in the focus, is in the focus of a um, police sex crime investigation in the Solomons. And Ravindra caps stellar season with the ICC award. The accolades keep coming for Black Caps all-rounder Rachin Ravindra. 
Good on your boy. Rampant Australia seek series sweep against the West Indies and Red Bull owned team changes its name. We'll have a look at that after the news from TNT coming up in just a moment. Also, David Seymour, he is skipping Ratner. Uh, ap- uh, rather, David Seymour skipping Ratner. Absolute ignorance, opposition MP say. Opposition pro- um, members of parliament from the Greens and the Labour parties have carried out the, uh, have rather called out the act leader David Seymour's no-show at Ratner as an absolute disgrace. There we are. Here's TNT Radio News. TNT Radio News. For TNT, this is James O'Neill. On January 22nd, the United States, alongside international allies, executed several military operations targeting Iran-backed Houthi forces in Yemen. Pentagon spokesperson Major General Pat Ryder reported that the strikes focused on an underground storage site and facilities related to missile and air surveillance capabilities. In a press briefing on January 23rd, General Ryder emphasized, again, our aim remains to de-escalate tensions and restore stability in the Red Sea. He described the strikes as precise and proportionate, designed to disrupt and degrade the capabilities of the Houthis that pose threats to global trade and the safety of civilians at sea. The collaborative strikes involved the United States and Britain, with additional support from Bahrain, Canada, and the Netherlands. Following these joint operations, the United States conducted a separate night strike. This unilateral action by the U.S. targeted a Houthi cruise missile poised for launch, which is deemed an imminent threat, and took place approximately 15 minutes after the initial coordinated strikes. A report from a collective of insolvency specialists disclosed on Monday that the number of U.K. businesses facing imminent bankruptcy surged dramatically by over a quarter towards the end of the previous year. This increase is largely attributed to a debt storm incited by several interest rate hikes. The Red Flag Alert, published by Begbie's Trainer Group, indicated that 47,477 British firms were experiencing critical financial distress in the last quarter of the year. This represents a 26% increase from the 37,772 companies that reported a similar level of financial strain in the preceding three months. Notably, this rise marks the second successive quarter in which this incidence of critical financial distress escalated by approximately 25%. The report also suggests that a substantial proportion of these businesses in dire financial straits are likely to face insolvency within the next year. Following former President Donald Trump's successive wins in the first two nominating states, President Joe Biden effectively initiated the general election campaign. Despite Nikki Haley's commitment to continue her campaign, Biden's remarks acknowledged Trump's near certainty of clinching the Republican nomination after a significant victory in New Hampshire. Biden, in a statement released around 11 p.m. Eastern Time, affirmed it is now clear that Donald Trump will be the Republican nominee. He emphasized the critical nature of the upcoming election, highlighting the risk to democracy and personal freedoms, including the right to choose and the right to vote. This statement from Biden reflects a growing consensus that the Republican race is essentially a formality leading to Trump's nomination. Do you see that, Paul? We're going to put it up. We have beaten Biden. You could almost say, who can't? Who the hell can't? The man can't put two sentences together. He can't find the stairs off a stage. In a recent interview with CBS, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov expressed skepticism about the potential for improved relations between Moscow and Washington, even if Donald Trump were to win the 2024 U.S. presidential election. Despite Trump's past claims of having good relations with Vladimir Putin, Lavrov highlighted that the overall U.S. stance toward Russia has remained consistent over the years. 
Lavrov attributed the deterioration of U.S.-Russia relations to Washington's actions, including the dismantling of key confidence-building mechanisms and the erosion of mutual trust. American relations, the foundation of these relations, uh, including the all agreements on strategic stability, uh, parity, mutual trust, uh, inspections, uh, transparency, and so on and so confidence building. All this started to be ruined by President Bush Jr. We'll be back with another news break at the top of the next hour. This has been James O'Neill for TNT. Thank you very much, James. Uh, we are up to five minutes past seven. Very good morning to you. With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to TNTradio.live. Ah, yes, the weather, weather. 88.1 FM, the wireless weather. All right, five and a half minutes past. Oh, there we are, going to it now. Five and a half, five and a half minutes past. Let's check out that weather, shall we? Oh, look, I've got an old one. I'll do a quick refresh, and we'll bring you right up to date there with the latest weather. No, it's still no, not not any earlier. Okay, Gisborne, eighteen point seven degrees to this morning, and uh, what have we got in Lumsden? Four point four. It's warmed up a little bit there now. Mahia has the windiest uh, wind uh, conditions, twenty four kilometres per hour. Napier Airport has point eight millimetres of rain. Temperature right across the main centres right now as I speak, 10 degrees in Stewart Island Chatham Islands is on 15 Invercargill 7, Dunedin 11, Timaru 12, Christchurch 8 and Blealham 9 Across the uh, the other side, France Joseph's on 6 and uh, we have got uh, Westport on 9, Queenstown 5 degrees In the North Island, Wellington there at the Wasp Nest 13 degrees there, Masterton 12 degrees, Palmerston North 15, New Plymouth 12, Napier 14, Tarpo 13, Rotorua 14 degrees. Gisborne's on 19, Tauranga 16, it's 12 degrees this morning in, 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 in Hamilton, and Auckland 15 degrees along with Whangarei and Kaitaia. It's one of the warmest places in the country at the moment. Gisborne and Kaitaia, Kaitaia's on 17 degrees. Now, let's look at the short forecast for all of New Zealand. In the west from Northland to Taramanui, also for the Coromandel, mainly fine weather, isolated showers this afternoon and evening. For Gisborne, Hawke's Bay and the Wairarapa, also tie happy, partly cloudy with a few showers. For the Bay of Plenty and Tarpo, also Taranaki and Wellington, generally fine. Nelson, Marlborough and Canterbury, mostly fine, and then isolated showers mainly from the afternoon. For Buller and Westland, fine, apart from some evening cloud, with uh, late rain about southern Westland. North Otago and Dunedin, often cloudy with a few showers. Central Otago and Clutha, also Southland and Fjordan, cloudy with showers in Fjordan, then fine spells elsewhere. Rain developing in Fjordan this evening uh, with scattered showers spreading east. And in the Chatham Islands, it is absolutely beautiful fine weather there today for you. Beautiful fine weather, six and a half minutes past seven o'clock. Yeah. You're listening to Grant Edwards, 88.1 FM, the wireless, the world at five. All righty, what about a little bit of country music there from uh, Hayley Witters? Or Witters, yes, Hayley Witters. This is a good one, I like this. Beers in the bucket, suds in the sink, chickens in the skillet, ice in the drink. Heads in the clouds, diamonds in the rough, he's in a Chevy and I'm in love. Mama's in town, daddy's in the doghouse, corn's in the ground, sister's in a room smoking God knows what, 
car's in a lot He's in the drive and I'm in love Tips in the apron, hair's in a braid Mercury's all in retrograde No silver in the spoon, no blue in his blood He's in Levi's, I'm in love Talking about who, who I'm out of my mind Two bottles into a bottle song there by Hayley Witters and you're listening to The Wireless and uh, we've got The World at Five with me, Grant Edwards. We've got Steve Kirsch and I promised you him before seven o'clock. So here he is now. He's testifying in front of Congress. Nobody in Congress is asking to analyze. Oh, hang on. No, that's not the one. No, that's the one. We'll hear that and then we'll hear from Steve Kirsch. Where are you, Steve? The violence. Nobody in the mainstream media has ever asked what's in the vials and the public doesn't want to know either because the public's not asking what's in these vaccines if people understood what was in the vaccine they'd go apeshit yeah okay here's steve here we are all these vaccines are causing harm to our kids it's not just the covid vaccines it's every single one of them there has never ever been a study comparing the fully vaccinated kids who follow the cdc schedule versus kids who have not been vaccinated at all, who did not get a vitamin K shot, which is not a vitamin, and whose mother did not get vaccinated. If you compare the results of kids whose mom didn't get vaccinated, no K shot and no vaccines, and if you compare the outcomes of those kids versus kids who got the CDC schedule there is a dramatic difference. It is an unbelievable difference. It is a difference that nobody wants to talk about. There are no studies, zero, that show the opposite. You know, I go on Twitter and the doctors say, well, you know, for every study, there's always a study that shows the opposite. This is the one case where there are no studies in medicine that show the opposite results. The fully unvaccinated kids are always healthier. And in fact, there was a 10-year study done by Dr. Paul Thomas. And of course, they got it. They got that uh, study retracted unethically in violation of the COPE guidelines. That 10-year study showed that the kids who got measles were the kids who were vaccinated against measles. The kids who got mumps were the kids who were vaccinated against mumps. The kids who did not get any vaccines did not get any of the diseases 
that the kids were vaccinated against. Were vaccinated. So when you talk about you shouldn't be discriminated against because you didn't get a vaccine, you should be applauded because you didn't get a vaccine, because you did the right thing. If you're a parent and you didn't vaccinate your kids, you should be applauded because you did the, did the research and you found out that vaccines are causing chronic disease in America. There's a study that was done by the control group. They have over a thousand people who are unvaccinated. The health outcomes in those people is night and day comparison uh, with fully vaccinated people. Uh, we have a, like a 60% rate of people with a chronic disease in America. If you've not been vaccinated at all, the rate is close to zero. And of course, none of this is talked about. They tried to get the CDC to do a study of the vaccinated, fully vaccinated versus the fully unvaccinated. In 2005, CDC Director Judy Gerberding promised to do such a study. She said, yes, we should do such a study. It's important that we do a study now. We can refine it later. And that was nearly 20 years ago. And that study has never been done. And it will never be done because they don't want people to know that all these vaccines have been harming people since the very beginning. There is no safe vaccine, not a single one. Not one vaccine is safe and effective. And I actually went on Twitter and I offered $2,500 to anybody who could show me such a study and nobody was able to produce such a study. 88.1 FM, the wireless international news. Alrighty, let's look at the international news. It's quarter past seven. Very good morning to you. And we're over now. We will go to uh, AP News. You can find them at apnews.com. And uh, the headlines here are in world news. We've got Russia accuses Kiev of downing a military transport plane, killing all 74 people on board, including prisoners of war. A Russian military transport plane crashed in a border region near Ukraine, and Moscow accuses Kiev of shooting it down, saying all 74 people aboard were killed, including 65 Ukrainian prisoners of war. Now, the doomsday clock, it remains at 90 seconds to an apocalypse. Uh, the bulletin of the atomic scientist announced on Tuesday that its famous doomsday clock remains at 90 seconds to midnight and illustrates current trends that if they continue to point towards it, they do point towards an international catastrophe as part of the January 2024 report. Now, let's look at news from the regions. Now, here's what we know about Sweden's bumpy road to the NATO membership. Now, uh, they, this is what we know. In Stockholm, uh, this is according to AP News, Sweden's bid to join NATO held up for almost two years. It cleared its text next to last hurdle when Turkey's parliament gave the go-ahead to let the Nordic country into the alliance. And the 60 existing, all existing NATO countries must give their approval before a new member can join the alliance. And Hungary is now the only member that hasn't given Sweden the green light. That story you can read for yourself at apnews.com. Uh, Hungary. 
Hungary is the last holdout for Sweden's NATO membership. And uh, this is, uh, we're looking at European news now. These are the headlines. Greece faces growing opposition from the Orthodox Church over plans to legalise same-sex marriage. Moving across to Asia now and a fire in China's Xinjiang province kills uh, at least 39 people, according to state media, and thousands still sheltering in freezing weather after a 7.1 quake in western China killed uh, key livestock. And see how India's northeast cheered to return uh, to return the bird and buffalo fights after a bird and buffalo fights after a nine-year ban. China says it's working to de-escalate tensions in the Red Sea after they have upended the it's upended the international trade. Moving over to Latin America now, and 16 million people live in neighbouring Brazil. They call for subnormal. It's called subnormal. It's financial changing. It's changing the name. What does that mean? 16 million people live in the neighbourhoods Brazil calls subnormal. It's finally changing the name. Oh, are they? Now, Guatemala, embattled attorney general, uh, she says, uh, will not step down. And uh, radically diverse uh, Puerto Rico debates bill that aims to ban their uh, hair discrimination. <coughs> That's interesting, isn't it? And gangly adolescent giraffe Benito has arrived at his new home. Now comes the hard part, fitting in. Oh, I don't know. What does that mean? i better go over and tell you, give you a bit more information. Hey, they've actually got a video there. I wonder if I can play it, but they'll probably have an ad. Let's have a listen and see. Uh, Benito, giraffe, finally. Oh, no, it's the big giraffe. Oh, no, it's all just sound effects. No, there's no voice over there. So they've got the giraffe. Uh, it has now come home. And, uh, OK, let's move across to the Middle East and the UN courts to issue ruling on Friday on South Africa's request for to order the halt to Israel's Gaza offensive. That's just new come in. And live updates. Uh, patients trapped in the Gaza hospital as Israeli forces strike southern city. And a Libyan delegation reopens talks in Lebanon on a missing cleric and... Uh, on Gaddafi's detained son. US hits Iraq militia sites uh, with anti-ship missiles in Yemen as fighting with Iranian proxies continues. And uh, Blinken, he pitches uh, the US as an alternative to, to, to Russia, the Russia's Wagner in Africa's troubled Seychelles. Uh, civil war turned to Somalia, the main soccer stadium, into an army camp. Uh, a civil war has turned Somalia's main soccer stadium into an army camp. It's now hosting games again. That's good. Tanzania. Oh, this is Africa. African news. Uh, Tanzania's main opposition party holds the first major protest in several years after a ban was lifted. Algeria opposition parties call for a political dialogue in presidential election. And South African police arrest a man who says he started a fire that left 76, 76 people dead. Uh, he's to hide another killing. To hide another killing. Oh, okay. Uh, now, United States news and Trump rematch with Biden appears increasingly likely after New Hampshire win over Nikki Haley. New Hampshire takeaways. Trump's path becomes clearer. So does the prospect of a rematch with with Biden. So does it. Yes, it does. It definitely does. I don't know how. As uh, Trump said, he can't even string a sentence together. I'm struggling this morning too as well. 20 minutes past seven and the man suspected of killing eight people in suburban Chicago. I thought it was seven, but it's gone up obviously to eight. Uh, it was related to most of the victims, the police say. New York man convicted of murdering woman who wound up in his bankrupt 
backcountry driveway after a wrong turn. Oh, no. A mother of a disabled girl who was allegedly raped at Starbucks bathroom sues the company, the school district. The company and the school district. Oh, okay. I wonder how she went, went to school, got to do with it. All right, that is AP News. That is the latest from them. Now, we'll go over to Australia and abcnet.au, and they've got a few stories there. Now, Heat. Heat beat Sixers by 54 runs to win second Big Bash League title. The Brisbane Heat have beaten the Sydney Sixers by 54 runs in the Big Bash League the final at the CGS to claim their first men's title in 11 years. Most taxpayers get $804, but high-end tax cuts halve as government government rewrites stage three. This was by political reporter Tony Crowley and a national affairs editor, Melissa Clark. The government will halve the stage three tax cuts for the highest earners and use the money to deliver $804 tax cuts across the board. There we are. And a Russian military transport plane carrying 65 Ukrainian prisoners of war, six crew and three people accompanying them, a crash on Wednesday morning in Russia's Belgorod region near Ukraine, Russia's defence ministry said. And Ray Yeda appeared before the Western Australian District Court after he was found guilty of a, in a rape trial. And Christopher Rails, Rawls, Christopher, Christopher Rawls uh, was driving a ute along a Gippsland road, along a Gippsland road when he fatally struck 55-year-old Russ, Russell Evans who had stepped out of his car to help his son change a a flat tyre. Well, that's unfortunate. Uh, A deadly bullet, you can see all these stories and read them in full at abc.net.au. A deadly building fire in Johannesburg has killed 76 people. Last year was started by a man who was trying to dispose of a body of someone that he had strangled on the orders of a drug dealer. Nasty. And commuters are facing journeys extended by up to 50 minutes in some parts of the city. What part of the city is that? That's Sydney, according to ABC Radio. Declan Bowring reports 624,100 population increase over the past 12 months is equivalent to adding more than the population of Tanzania in just one year, according to Tessa Fleming at abc.net.au. And uh, another story here, Dylan, uh, Dylan Floyd faces the Adelaide Magistrates Court charged with indecently assaulting a woman in Adelaide South uh, in July after being rearrested earlier on Wednesday and after advancing to the semifinals as a qualifier, Diana Yastrimska pays tribute to her mother, who has uh, accompanied her daughter on her inspiring run at Melbourne Park. Uh, Former Western Australian Department of uh, Child Protection, the DCP, District Director, is jailed for sexually abusing two children over a period of eight years. Uh, That is a distressing story, so there's a warning for you on that one. And uh, Cape Tribulation. Cape Tribulation is a major international tourist destination in the heart of the Daintree, but the but the major landslip last month has rendered it, it largely inaccessible. Businesses there now fear permanent closure. How does a uh, clarinet, a clarinetist who was a national Lego champion as a boy, uh, a uh, conscientious objector to the Vietnam War, whose first wife was a famous author and comedian, and second wife? the daughter of an Australian Prime Minister 
end up widely known as a media executive. How do we know? Kim Williamson was rejected when he applied to run the ABC, age 29. Now he finally gets his chance. That story by Catherine Taylor. Uh, and we've got the, uh, if the upper, uh, what is it, Calliope, I think it's Calliope, I'm not sure, solar farm in the central Queensland is approved. Mining giant Rio Tinto will use the electricity generated to power its operations in Gladstone, but some locals want more detail about the project. Steve Smith joins Pat Cummins in calling for a change to the date of Australia Day. Steve Smith has echoed Pat Cummins and called for a change to the date of Australia Day as Cricket Australia continues to face scrutiny from some sectors regarding their stance on the day. A psychologist doesn't understand why Queensland government accepts abhorrent conditions in police watch house inside a watch house in Cairns or Cairns. Uh, children as young as 10 are locked into cells designed for adults, sometimes four at a time, with their mattresses on the floor. That doesn't sound very, very nice, does it? This has just come through a, a few hours ago. And better for nurses, teachers and truckies. Government to overhaul stage three tax cuts, broadening benefits. The government, uh, in an election promise, backflipped uh, with overhaul stage three tax cuts leaving most Australians with extra cash in their pocket when the measures take effect in July. Disrupting research uncovers claims, bad things happening to women in emergency centres. New South Wales government has reviewed recommendations to ensure safety of vulnerable women and children. And three people are dead, one critical after being pulled from the water at Phillip Island Beach, according to police. They say three people died after getting into difficulty at the water at the beach southeast of Melbourne. And from tackling a child to closing the borders, here at Scott Morrison's here are Scott Morrison's political feats and faux pas. Uh, that you can read for yourself. Caitlin Rawlings gives you that story. And uh, there, that's over at abc.co.co, is it? No, .net, .nz. Now, uh, we're getting to the end of this, aren't we? Matt uh, Ebden says that he was left a little bit frustrated and surprised after his Australian doubles match was halted due to a, uh, an issue with the court surface at Melbourne Park. Truck driver granted bail after a crash involving scooter leaves a young Frenchwoman dead. Police allege the accused was driving in a dangerous and negligent manner when he cra- the crash occurred. Uh, Shell Harbour, Alice Roy, 23. Oh, so it was near Shell Harbour. I should say it's a full stop. Uh, Alice Roy, who was 23, she died in the incident. Uh, she was working and travelling in Australia. And uh, what's got? Last but not least, are you are you being gouged at the supermarket checkout? Yes, we are. All of us are. David Taylor says it seems abundantly clear grocery prices are going up as you upload your trolley, but determining supermarket price gouging is more complicated than you might expect. So he's got that story over there. There we are. Oh, I'll better tell you this one. Our coastal towns are expecting a battering from the cyclone, outback glaciers, uh, it's rather, <laughs> there's no L in it, outback grazers, you know, the farmers, they hope the rain finds them. I bet they do too. Heavy rainfall is predicted uh, for much of Queensland as Cyclone Kirrilli, uh, uh, it's uh, slowly moved towards the coast. But for grazers inland, it could often be a reprieve, or it could be a reprieve uh, from extreme heat and dry conditions. There we are. Okay, what about another country song, Grant? Okay, well, what about another country song? Let's do a country song. We've got uh, Jana Kramer. Here she is. 
I've just got to remember, though, when I play her, I've got to switch off Facebook. Or they plug me. Ping me. Out of all of the places In this little town Yeah, you had to come walking in here and sit down We've been over, been trying like crazy to get you out of my head. So, oh, why you wanna show up in an old t shirt that I love? Why you gotta tell me that I'm looking good? Don't know what you were thinking, you were doing, moving in for a hug like you don't know I'm coming on Why you gotta, why you wanna? Something mean made me glad that you said goodbye. Why can't you look off somewhere? You catch me staring at you. Why can't you be cold like any old good ex would do? you gotta show up in an old t-shirt that I love? Why you gotta tell me that I'm looking good? Don't know what you were thinking, you were doing, moving in for a hug like you don't know I'm coming up. Why you gotta, why you wanna make me keep on you? Why you gotta, why you wanna In this little town Yeah, you had to come walking in here and sit well, that's a great song, isn't it? Her name is Jaina, 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 Jaina Kramer. And uh, we've got our very own Kaylee Bell as well. She's coming to New Zealand. She's got concerts in March and April. She's very busy going across the Tasman as well. Very, very busy indeed. Uh, coming up very shortly, we've got uh, Samantha Edwards from Samantha Edwards Reports. You can find her at counterspinmedia.com. Uh, but in the meantime, I've got a song for you from Kaylee Bell. 
Well, perhaps we won't. Oh, no, I'm going to tell you a little bit about That's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah, I'll just put you there. That's the one. And um, we've got Samantha coming up. But before I do, uh, I'm going to tell you about Kaylee Bell. She's New Zealand's own. She's from Raumati. And uh, she's got some concerts coming up now. Let me tell you about those concerts. Now, uh, she's very, very busy. On the 31st of March, she's going to be in Waimati. Uh, on Sunday, it's got low availability. She's going to be there on Saturday as well. There's no availability at all on the 30th of March at Waimati at the Regent Theatre. That's all sold out, so two nights there. Uh, she is going to be on April the 5th. She'll be in Dunedin at the Town Hall. On the 13th of April, Haley will be at Auckland uh, Town Hall, at the Great Hall, they call it. And uh, she's got... Uh, uh, someone with it, Navi, I think Navi's um, touring with her as well. Then she's off to Toowoomba in Queensland. Uh, actually, no, that's going to be before that. She's going to be on March. So it's a bit of a skip over. So she does Toowoomba in Queensland at the Toowoomba Showgrounds, and that's on the 8th of March. Then she comes back to New Zealand and does on the, the – that's on – oh, hang on. No, in February, February 24th, she's at Hamilton at Mystery Creek. I forgot about that. Then she goes over to Aussie, to Toowoomba. And then back on March 23rd, she's going to be at Havelock North at the Black Barn Vineyards, Kaylee Bell. Uh, that's the Nights Like This tour. And then she'll be in Nelson on the 28th at Trafalgar Square. She, on the 30th, she'll be at back at Waimati. Now, there's no tickets available there. But on the 30th, there is low availability. If you go over to tiki, ticketmaster.co.nz, you can book your ticket right away. Uh, April the 5th, she'll be in Dunedin at the Dunedin Town Hall. 13th, Auckland. The Great Hall, that we are. And now she, on the April the 19th, she'll be at the Sydney Olympic Park, New South Wales, at the showgrounds there, the Meatstock Sydney, the Music and Barbecue Festival. That is Hayley Bell. Uh, right now it's Samantha Edwards, and when we come back, we'll hear a song from Hayley Bell. It's 26 minutes to eight. It's easy to see that the truth about jab injuries is becoming more and more evident, and that it's something that won't be hidden for much longer. Winston Peters knows that. Do you honestly think it's a coincidence that Winston's pushing of mandatory vaccinations, his opening the New Zealand market to another 1.3 billion for Big Pharma, his manoeuvring of an extreme abortion bill into law, his strategic assistance in manoeuvring the extreme end of life bill into law, are all actions that just happen to be right on track with the globalist depopulation agenda? His signing of the UN Global Migration Pact that we're about to have a look at in a moment is also a globalist agenda. How much more complicit does a politician have to show themselves to be before we stop making excuses for them and call them a globalist player? Do you think David Seymour just happens to have some heartfelt passion for the issue of euthanasia? <laughs> and a heartfelt belief that genders need to be bent as far as we can flex them? and that doing so will genuinely benefit our children and our future, and that he sincerely believes vaccine mandates are vital for humanity's survival, and that's why he's sacking every member of his own party that dares to speak against those mandates. He sacked five in the last two months, the very same ones who said that they might not support more mandates, which speaks pretty loudly about his pro-mandate intentions. Do you think it's just one of his deep core beliefs that Big Pharma shouldn't be bound by any restraints, like the one we had placed on pseudoephedrine because it played such a key role in our nation's out-of-control pee problem? And, and that he just wanted to be at Davos to make sure that there was an honest voice on the stage? <laughs> no. Act as a globalist player, 
a tail feather on the globalist vulture, and the other tail feather is New Zealand First, who seem to be out to capture the more conservative of their wake, even if it needs to be done by outright trickery and betrayal. Do you think it's a coincidence that Winston went out and deceived the pro-lifers right before that evil abortion bill was set to go through? Do you really think his MP Tracy Martin was just genuinely grieved at the idea of a woman not being able to end the life of her full-term healthy baby instead of being encouraged to place it into the adoption system? And that when he had no idea about any of it, do you really think someone as astute as Winston Peters doesn't know what's going on? He's not called a sly old fox for no reason. <laughs> he and David Seymour are as globalist as Luxon and Hipkins. Oh, yeah. Oh, they are. That is Samantha Edwards uh, from Samantha Edwards Reports, and you can see all of her videos over at counterspinmedia.com. Now, coming up, we've got a song. We've got a tune from our very own Kaylee Bell. Poor people usually spend their money and invest what's left. That's the philosophy of the poor. Now here's the philosophy of the rich. Rich people invest their money and spend what's left. And here's the startling answer. It really doesn't matter what the amount is. What's most important is not the amount. What's really important is the philosophy. So I would ask you to adopt this philosophy of spending after you have invested. Invest first, then spend. Sam Hunt, Colin Ray, Keith Urban, Jelly Roll, and our very own Kaylee Bell. Today's best country, 88.1 FM, The Wireless. Just couldn't be 
There she is, Hayley Bell. Kaylee, Kaylee, Kaylee Bell, get it right, Grant. 19 minutes away from 8 o'clock, we'll have TNT Radio News coming up for you at 8. Before then, let's pop over to rnz.co.nz and the headlines there is a strong magnitude 5.2 quake shakes the Hawke's Bay. Thousands have reported feeling the earthquake and several aftershocks. Uh, what other news have we got? MPs worried the hospital rebuild will be a guinea pig for privatisation. Rachel Boyack is worried the Nelson Hospital redevelopment could be used as a test case when it comes to privatising health infrastructure. Lava Cave found in Auckland every month. Apparently, researchers and Auckland Council are working collectively to completely map a field of hundreds of lava caves under the city of Sales. And a year on uh, is is disgusting, says residents displaced in Auckland anniversary flood. A year on, much of the city is back to normal, but there are still those struggling in the wake of the floods, still unable to return to their homes. Met Service rolls out the storm and fire notification app. Uh, The Weather Monitoring Agency says the feature is partially in response to the widespread confusion during last year's floods in Auckland. Cathedral Cove and the Department of Conservation is not confident of a track reopening. The DO, the DOC, the DOC, the DOC, they say that they, they have conceded there is no guarantee a walkway to Cathedral Cove will ever reopen, but it is working to find a stable piece of land. Red paint has been thrown on Judith Collins's office in the protest. Uh, Tamaki for Palestine has claimed responsibility, saying it, it was in response to the government's decision to send six troops to the Middle East. And a border collie recovers after devastating dog attack. A local a border collie's horrific injuries have healed six weeks after her throat was ripped open by two dogs. Unimpressed penguin is found wandering on Wellington uh, runway at Wellington Airport. A Wellington Airport wildlife officer, Jack Howarth, he says the korora, which had to be rescued, uh, is less than impressed with uh, being rescued and wanted to go for a wander on the on the runway, on the tarmac. Our Southland Council says more funding needed for flood protection. The region is grappling with aged ageing infrastructure and more frequent extreme weather. And protests clash the uh, rather they crash the council uh, meeting on the Commonwealth Games bid. The Christchurch City Council has voted to consider a bid for the future Commonwealth Games. A measles warning for travellers in cases reported overseas. The New Zealand Health says 15 people travelling to New Zealand two weeks ago had been exposed to the measles case in Australia. And a person's been arrested after Albert Park incident causes traffic chaos. Police say a person made a number of concerning comments prompting an emergency response. Overheight vehicle hits the Waterview Tunnel. Heavy traffic on State Highway 20. There are severe traffic delays on State Highway 20, a 20 northbound after an uh, an overhead vehicle hit the Waterview Tunnel. That was yesterday, wasn't it? I don't know. Searching for a swimmer missing for 10 days is suspended. The man disappeared near the Gulf Harbour Marina on Sunday. Uh, That's an old one. What are we doing? Going down there? No, get back up here. Let's see. Yeah, there we are. Okay, so these are the top stories. A former All Black, a decade of repeated drunken violence against women, apparently. His name is uh, Kelleher. He is uh, before the courts again. And uh, Byron, his name, Byron Delica, a decade of repeated drunken violence against women. What's he been up to? A text message. Oh, no, we, we, we read that one before, didn't we? Now, official documents suggest New Zealand First Minister wants to freeze excise tax on cigarettes, but she denies it. Does she? Oh, well, let's find out about that.
Uh, what's her name? Her name is, she's the associate of the Shadow Health Minister, Casey Costello. New Zealand's first associate minister, Casey Costello, has a lot of ideas about the regulation of tobacco. Many of them will be controversial. Cigarettes would be insulated from the full impact of inflation under a proposal from New Zealand first associate minister, Casey Costello. Currently, tobacco excise uh, is uh, increasing every year in line with the Consumer Price Index, the CPI. Radio New Zealand has learned Costello is proposing a three-year freeze on CPI-related excise increase for smoking smoked tobacco. But when RNZ put it to her and in an interview, Costello said she hadn't looked at it. Is she telling a lie? Oh, I don't know. She could be. She said, I've had no discussions at all on that. Well, that doesn't mean to say you're not thinking about it. You might not have had discussions. I think you might be telling fibs. Anyway, I hope you do put a freeze on it because if people want to have a cigarette, in fact, just stay out of the cigarettes. I don't think the government should be taxing it. I think that the best way they can show that they're against smoking is to take the tax off it. Don't treat us like little children. If we want to smoke, we'll have a flipping smoke. All right? Yeah. It's 14 minutes to 8, 14 to 8, and uh, I've had a guts full of that story already. And that's it for Radio New Zealand. Let's look at stuff and see what they've got happening there. The grieving Gore dad has no money for lawyers as the inquest nears. Paul Jones has spent $200,000 on lawyers and private investigators, but is out of money just months before an inquest begins into the death of little Lockie. Now, Lockie is spelled L-A-C-H-I-E. Why don't you go over to Podbean or Spotify and just type his name in because uh, Lockie, and then maybe put death next to it. And there's a, I'm sure there's a podcast about this. It's very interesting. They brought in a private investigator from, the, I think, Australia or the United States. She thinks there's something fishy going on with that. Uh, he was a little boy that went for a wander, apparently, and they found him face down in um, a sort of a little lake somewhere. And uh, so it's a very sad story, but there's a podcast about that, and they go into detail with the um, the private investigator. She, they, she's, she comments on it as well. I'm sure, sure it's a woman. And Lord of the Rings star, 68 somersaults for a good cause. One jump after another, actor Bruce Hopkins flipped his way through the water of the Waitemata Harbour uh, to 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 what to raise funds? Did he? Let's find out about that. This is uh, Sandra Arambe Pola. She reports, and oh, I see. Ah, oh, that's down at Point here in Pools. I think it is. Looks like it. Yeah, because that's saltwater pools, isn't it? Having marked his sixty seventh birthday with sixty seven backflips into the ocean last year, actor Bruce Hopkins. Uh, has his heart on doing one better to celebrate the 68th year of his life. Continuing with his philanthropic uh, somersaults, the Lord of the Rings star spent around two hours successfully completing his 68 leaps into the Waitemata Harbour off the Red Bull Cliff Diving World Series Tower on Tuesday afternoon. Isn't that a point, Aaron? Oh, I think it is. Is it a point, Aaron? The one along Tamaki Drive there. The newly constructed tower will see the world's first or the best cliff divers launch off the Red Bull Cliff Diving World Series in, uh, in Winyard Quarter, oh, is that where it is, over the coming weekend. It's time. It's going to be a metre and a half to two metres high, uh, rather this time, and uh, then the last time. So it's going to be a bit tall. It's given me a little bit of an edge and also excitement, Hopkins told Stuff a few days before the leaps 
on the six-metre tower. Ooh-wee, she's getting up there. Mitre 10, what are they up to? They have changed culturally insensitive products. They say they did that about a year ago, didn't they? Mitre 10 is changing the names of some of its bathroom products because they are culturally insensitive, apparently. I think I might have got the wrong end of the stick of the story yesterday. A home improvement chain, uh, the, uh, the chain's legacy brand, used Maori names, or Toreo names, then all right, have it your way, for items such as toilet seats, toilet roll holders, robe hooks, uh, grab rails and towel rails. A video seen by Radio New Zealand, this is stuff reporting, show some of these products packaging had been covered with stickers to replace the Maori with English. Uh, The uh, Te Anau towel ring now becomes the Ellesmere towel ring and the Karapiro Karapiro towel ring is now the Cluther towel ring which had been known as the Kai Iwi toilet roll holder. There we are, and it's now listed as the legacy toilet roll holder on the company's website. Might attend said the changes were intended to make the names more culturally sensitive. I think I think so. they might have got some complaints from the Maori about using Maori names on their toilet roll stuff. Yeah, toilet stuff. <laughs> yeah, that'll be what it was. That'll be it. All right, so what else have we got happening over there at, oh, I'll just go back two clicks. It's 10 minutes to eight. And, oh, we've got a flooded house here. Lessons learned a year on from the Auckland floods. Auckland Council tells Newsable the city's infrastructure still couldn't prevent what happened that night. And I'm looking at a photograph there of a poor little Chinaman waving to his little baby. He's, this is Brick and Tile home, and he's up on the, on the fence there, or up on the wall, and it looks, like, it looks like around about up to knee deep in water around his house. Terrible. Um, and what else have we got? And uh, yes, so that's that. And then we've got the three musketeers, three-headed <clears throat> Talifa. Ratners uh, criticised MP uh, for Prime Minister Paul. What's it? Uh, Ratner criticism should give Prime Minister pause. This year, the message sent to Christopher Luxon was emphatic, writes Tova O'Brien. She's got a story at Stuff. And why we need to fight for the treaty. This is an opinion piece. All this referendum talk has... Uh, popped a cork, inadvertently or not, on something foul that's been furiously fermenting in the secret basement of the nation's soul. Auckland Township that says it's terrorised by alcoholics. Business owners in Point Chevalier say they have to escort customers back to their cars as vagrants take over the town with seeming impunity. And then we had the 52 Quake, which shook the Hawks Bay at around about 3 o'clock this morning, and one man to display 36 tractors at Eden crank up, uh, Edendale Crank Up event. The Crank Up event. That's the old one. Give them a crank. Get the crank out. Watch out. They don't backfire on you and break your flipping arm. Uh, there was a man killed actually doing that. Um, he was someone famous actually. He, um, he was a car inventor, and uh, he was cranking this car up for a lady who couldn't get it going. And the flipping thing uh, backfired on them. They've got safety measures now for that. Well, they brought them in after that. It killed them. And uh, so Colin Donald, he went to the annual Edendale crank-up event more than 30 years ago. I didn't even know Edendale. Oh, that's down the south one. Yeah, they're huge on that. I went to a fellow's farm. He had, oh, he would have had 36. Could be the guy. Could be Donald. That might be, might be him. I can't remember. That was back when I was there in 2005. I had a wee farm down there. And it was a bit of fun. Looking at all his tractors, they're in beautiful nick, and he had some more that were um, under restoration as well. But anyway, they're on display, uh, the red and the orange in colour, most of them, 
uh, and he decided blue was also needed, so he's doing a blue one. And the biggest visitor numbers on record for Taranaki's Festival of Lights. 175 people attended Taranaki's iconic Festival of Lights, Lights, which has just wrapped up for another season. A protest is brewing in the uh, in the tree leaves. Apparently, members of the Winston Winton rather Winton. That's lovely. We're all down Southland for some reason. We are down in Southland. I don't know why we've ended up there. Anyway, protest brewing. Uh, members of the Winton Garden Club, and it's wonderful. You drive through Winton there, and there was uh, someone there was looking after the gardens. Anyway, when I was there in two o five. And uh, still, must, someone must be um, popping in there. Anyway, the Garden Club, they have uh, discussed trying uh, tying themselves to trees on the town's main street to prevent them from being chopped down at the end of January. Oh, absolutely. It's wonderful. Winton is just the... I mean, that's why I, had to, I was driving back from Bluff with the family. We were driving all over the country looking for a nice farm. And uh, we stopped in Winton for the night. It was a rainy night. But what... I tell you what, it was cold and rainy, but the people were so warm and lovely. We thought, this is where we want to be. So we rang up the local real estate agent, lovely bloke, and um, bought, bought the property. Bought a, we saw about you know three or four of them and bought this one out at, um, um, what's the name of the place? Something Flats. Uh, I can't remember now. Um, Reedy Flats or something like that. Is it Reedy Flats? Oh, I can't remember. Anyway, there it is. It was fabulous. A specialist wait list grows by 507 people. Long waits for surgery are and growing queues to see the specialist. The health system has been under pressure since the new health minister, apparently, according to Louisa Steele. She writes, the number of people waiting for the first appointment with a specialist in South Canterbury has risen by 64.5% in the past year. There were 1,293 patients waiting for first specialist appointments at the end of 2023, an average of 507 since 2022, an increase, uh, when there were 768. The waiting list uh, was 1,049 in 2021, according to the waitlist data released to the... Um, at least released by New Zealand Health under the Official Information Act. Particular pinch points in general surgery and orthopaedics, which is a common theme throughout the country, along with ophthalmology, that's eyes, I think, uh, more patients are also waiting longer for planned care at Timaru Hospital. Yes, uh, most patients will have to wait and see a specialist before being considered for planned care. A total of 577 patients were waiting for surgery at Timaru Hospital at the end of 23, up 522 in 2020 and 520 in 21. The number of patients waiting longer than 120 days after being accepted for surgery has grown to 86, up from 54 and 22 and 28 and 21. New Zealand Health is working through a list of 101 recommendations delivered by the Planned Care Task Force in September 22. Health Minister Dr Shane Reddy, Reddy, he says he expected New Zealand Health to prioritise wait times and the action they were taking uh, rather, and the actions they were taking to reduce them. He said it's been clear for the past six years that health, the health system as a whole is under enormous pressure. As health minister, I'm committed to private prior, to drive priorities for change, including shorter wait times for first specialist assessments and shorter wait times for surgery, including our regional hospitals. That's what he said. And there's a graph there as well. You'll find that at stuff.co.nz, and it's under the heading... 
uh, a specialist wait list grows by 507 in South Canterbury. There we are. And uh, so that is good. So the Minister of Health, Shane Reddy, said he expected uh, New Zealand... Uh, we already said that. You, you said that. Yeah. Okay. Seafood Saturday returns to Nelson. Oh, that's good, isn't it? Let's find out about that. Katie, uh, Katie Jones reports... On the back of a successful inaugural event, Seafood Saturday is making a comeback. Nelsonians will again get the chance to celebrate all things seafood at the event, due to take place. So you need to book your tickets and get down there and see that, eh? Going to take a flight from Auckland or wherever you're from, and that's on the 9th of March. Now, hundreds of people turned out for the one-day event on Upper Trafalgar Street last year. It's, I love Nelson. And that, and to, to try out the region's Kaimawana, that's seafood, uh, yeah, seafood. take part in the family-friendly activities and watch things like chefs filleting fish. Ah, Organisers said the event was made possible by Seafood New Zealand and locally-based companies, be like Tally's, and this year's event would showcase even more of what makes the region's seafood sector a world leader. Tickets to the seafood and wine uh, degustation meal prepared by local chefs for the occasion last year, sold out in two weeks. Seafood CEO of New Zealand, Dr Jeremy Halson, said the high demand for 2023 event made it an easy decision to renew their support. And there's a photograph there of the chefs. It's fantastic, man. I'll tell you what, I might get, I might buy a, buy a plane ticket and fly down. Uh, the seafood sector and the blue economy make huge contributions to the Nelson Tasman region and we're pleased to put our spotlight on the many businesses that help our sustainable industry thrive alongside other key sponsors, Sea Lord, Italy's public agency, that's the FPS, New Zealand King Salmon and Sanford. They all say that. It's also great to have Nelson City Council supporting the 24 event uh, as a sponsor as well as the uniquely Nelson that's what they're called, Uniquely Nelson, helping to get the word out there. We hope this can be a template for similar celebrations in other New Zealand centres where fishing and seafood are a key part of the local economy and culture. Nelson Mayor Nick Smith, former Member of Parliament, said Seafood Saturday was a great way for Nelson to celebrate its role at the fishing capital of New Zealand. He said, we have dozens of businesses and thousands of people who work so hard in the industry to produce the tasty products that earn millions for our local economy. In support of this event is part of my ambition, or rather my support of this event is part of my ambition for Nelson for strengthening our industries and brand around, uh, and brand, probably brands, around our connection to honour brand our uh, and brand our, <clears throat> around our connection to the sea. Anyway, that was a bit disjointed, wasn't it? I hope you're. I hope I'm right to listen to. Uh, seafood lovers could expect more ocean than ocean themed activities and entertainment and uh, a space to engage with the industry, education and career opportunities. Oh, that'd be good. Always wanted to be a fisherman. Uh, the Nelson-based blue economy cluster Moana Nui will open its new headquarters doors a new headquarters doors on Trafalgar Square to showcase blue tech, that's maritime industry technology, promoting sustainable activities and innovations. People from uh, Moana, Nui, Moana Nui's partners, businesses would also be helping out on the day in the community hub. Moana Nui Chief Executive Jody uh, 
looks like Kunchesk, said Moana was key to the social, cultural, ecological and economic success of the region. She said we are incredibly lucky to have one of the largest ocean estates in the world with Nelson right at the centre. It's very special to come together and celebrate not only beautiful seafood but also the exceptional opportunities the industry generates through marine technology innovation and employment. People can register their interest for tickets for the Seafood and Wine Degustation Meal at seafoodsaturday.nz. There we are. Great Nelson story. Wonderful place is Nelson. Now, five changes for the users of the Nelson Alma Turner Library. Nelson's Alma Turner. I've been there. Now, the city's main library has just been fully reopened after the earthquake strengthening. And uh, and it may not be a brand from the uh, facility somewhere after. What is it? It may not be brand new facility. Oh, yeah, somewhere after. But Alma Turner Library in Nelson has had somewhat of a makeover inside as well as out. Earthquake strengthening and repairs to the building structure were recently completed. And the library was shut for nine days this month to prepare the building for its full reopening on January the 17th. The repairs to on the city's main library on Halifax Street in Nelson started after the discovery in June 2022 of heavy tiles in the ceiling that posed an earthquake risk. Mayor Nick Smith, Nelson Mayor, said that the building was no longer earthquake prone following the $2.5 million project. There we are. Refurbishing the library was the wise economic choice for Nelson City Council uh, in place of a plan to build a new library at a cost of $46 million amid the highest high interest rates and around $60 million uh, worth of storm recovery costs, he said. But the long-term feature of the library services looked more like a community ha- hub with uh, greater use of technology, he said. There are five changes currently to the library. I don't know if you had enough of the library. Yeah. Does people still visit libraries? Now, plane spotters celebrate a clear view. A small but devoted plane spotting community now has a front row seat (laughs) uh, of the action at Nelson Airport. Uh, A friend of mine was coming into Nelson Airport and he'd been putting that stuff on his feet. Oh, we've gone right through the news again. Oh, you nitwit. Can we catch up with it? Here we go. Here's give you a bit of news. One injury. Kataib Hezbollah, in a post on their Telegram channel, referenced by CNN, identified the individual who died as a fighter from their group. It's reported that there are no survivors in the crash of a Russian transport aircraft near the Ukrainian border, which occurred earlier today. The aircraft, identified as a Cold War-era IL-76, went down in the Belgorod Oblast, a region bordering northeast Ukraine on Wednesday morning. The Russian government has accused Ukraine of shooting down the jet, which was carrying 65 Ukrainian prisoners of war, six crew members, and three escorts. According to Moscow, all people on board were killed in the crash. However, the specific cause of the crash remains unclear, as Ukraine and Russia have issued conflicting reports. While Russia claims the aircraft was downed by Ukrainian forces, Ukraine has not admitted to shooting down the plane. Instead, Kiev alleges that the actual cargo of the aircraft was a consignment of S-300 surface-to-air missiles intended for use in attacks against Ukraine. Unverified footage circulating on Russian social media, highlighted by Ukraine's state press agency, shows an aircraft descending and exploding into flames upon impact with the ground. In response to the incident, Russian authorities have dispatched air crash investigators to the crash site. We'll be back with another news break at the top of the next hour.
This has been James O'Neill for TNT. With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to TNTradio.live. Well, Trump was uh, the first guy that I ever saw who was a sitting president who openly admitted that the military-industrial complex wants you to go to war. Yeah. Like when Eisenhower was resigning, he said it, but Trump actually said that. He said it. In an interview, I think it was with Steve Hilton on Fox. Yeah. Which is just a wild thing to hear, that they might be influenced to yeah. be more inclined to get, not, not wars when they're necessary, but yeah. like wars that they can justify yeah. for financial reasons. Karl Marx was a German philosopher and social theorist who lived in the 1800s. He is the co-author of the Communist Manifesto which has been referred to as the Bible of Communism. His theories of class conflict and dialectical materialism were instrumental in shaping socialist and communist movements worldwide. Joseph Stalin, Vladimir Lenin, Leon Trotsky, Mao Zedong, Che Guevara, Fidel Castro, Kim Jong-un, Hugo Chavez, Nicolas Maduro, and many other communist revolutionaries have cited Marxism as the foundation of their political ideologies. Marx rejected all concepts of God, as well as the traditional family. According to members of his own family, Marx was emotionally, verbally, and physically abusive. His wife, Jenny, was plagued by depression, which was compounded by Carl's adulterous impulses and his inability to provide for his children. Despite his privileged upbringing and formal education, Karl Marx was often unwilling to work and instead relied on the financial support of friends and family. 88.1 FM, the wireless weather. The short forecast for all New Zealand in the west from Northland to Waikato, also for Coromandel, mainly fine, isolated showers this afternoon and evening. For Gisborne and Hawke's Bay and Wairarapa to Taihapi, partly cloudy with a few showers. For the Bay of Plenty, Tapo, also for Waitomo to Wellington, fine weather today. For Nelson, Marlborough and Canterbury, mostly fine, isolated showers in the afternoon and evening. Buller and Westland, fine apart from some heavy cloud. Uh, evening cloud, I should say, in the uh, in the uh, bit of uh, bit of late rain in the southwestland area. For North Otago and Dunedin, often cloudy with the odd shower. For Central Otago and Clutha, also for Southland and Fiordland, cloudy with showers in Fiordland, but fine spells elsewhere. Rain in Fiordland this evening, with scattered falls spreading east. And for the Chatham Islands, partly cloudy. The extended forecast for Friday for the North Island, mainly fine, isolated showers in Northland, South Island, rain for Fiordland and Westland, possibly heavy. Cloud increasing elsewhere with a chain chance of a shower in the south. On Saturday in the North Island, cloud increasing and showers developing, but mainly dry for Hawke's Bay and Gisborne. In the South Island on Saturday, rain in the west and south, heavy at times. Scattered rain for Canterbury and Marlborough. On Sunday in the North Island, rain developing, possibly heavy. South Island, rain for, the, uh, for Westland and Fjordland, possibly heavy, easing. Showers in the east, south of Arthur's Pass, and about the Sounds, are becoming isolated later. And the long-range forecast for the Chatham Islands, partly cloudy. A few showers on Friday through to Sunday. Southeasterlies dying out on Friday, and then north to northeasterlies developing on Saturday. <laughs> 